All right, well, the next guest is somebody that everybody in the world knows, transcends way beyond all of us in our hood. Um, this is a, a Emmy-winning actress, songstress, and a bad bitch who I think is coming from our coins, uh, Laverne Cox. <laughs> no, well, first of all, you know you're a bad bitch, but I, that came because as I was getting my makeup done by Artelia, she was telling me about the, um, the bad bitch skit that you did. Oh, the Bad Bitch support group for um, Black Lady Sketch Show. Oh, first season of Bad, um, Black Lady Sketch Show, Robin Thede is like so amazing. We uh, got to interview her for my show on E! called If We're Being Honest. I love Robin. We're gonna, if she wanted me back for the last season, it, the timing just didn't work out. So hopefully we'll, there'll be a Bad Bitch support group. That could have been a series. Right? right. I mean, it was hilarious. And Angela Bassett. Right. Angela Bassett. I got to do a scene with Angela Bassett, which was so iconic. Um, that was so much fun. And I came in. It was so... I got the script, and I made a really big choice. And I was sort of nervous about it. And I was like, Robin, I made a big choice. And she was like, well, we'll try it. And then we'll, you know, so she didn't know what I was going to do until we started rolling. And then I saw what Robin was doing. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. <laughs> when you look at the year, I mean, you're coming up on your, this is the decade you've been in acting now, right? I've been acting so, In longer. terms of your first role. It was, a, it's Black. a decade since I broke through. So in 2013, Orange is the New Black premiered. And that's the job that changed my life. My first movie was in 1996, though. I was a senior at Marymount Manhattan that long College. Ago? Yes. I'm 50 years old. I was a senior at Marymount Manhattan College. I was a dance major there, but I did a lot of things in the theater department. Did my first movie in 1996. Several movies, independent films over the years. Lots and lots of acting training. Lots of auditions. Lots of no's. Lots of, um, well, we don't know what to do with you. Well, you're trans, so you can't really have a career as an actor. This has never happened. A lot of that for many years. And, um, and when I turned 40, 11 years ago, and I hadn't had a breakout moment yet, even though I'd done a lot of independent films and whatnot, I was like, maybe God, you know, wants something else for me and it's time to do something else. Cause I'm like, well, I'm 40 and I am black and trans. Like, who do I think I am thinking I can have a mainstream acting career? And then the Orange audition happened, and lo and behold, God had a different plan. No, and I want to get all into the career. I want to go back to something, because when you talk about 1996, two things when you, when you just explain that. One, I think we all, and I can't believe I just did that, believe that we arrived when the world sees us for the first time yeah. in a major thing, right? Um, you had been acting since 1996? Well, I, well, before that, so I, was, um, I was, so I started out as a dancer. I was a dance major in college, started studying dance at eight years old. In Alabama. Went, in Alabama. I'm from Mobile, Alabama. Went to the Alabama School of Fine Arts in Birmingham, Alabama, studied um, classical ballet and creative writing there. So, yeah. And but did you want to be a dancer? You want to be a dancer? I knew I would transition performer? into acting. Dancing was something I loved doing, and you do when you're younger. And my talent, I, I was a good dancer, but I wasn't a great dancer. And it's really funny. I did this thing when I, was at, I went to Marymount Manhattan College, that's where I graduated from, and I did a, an event, like this thing, where I did a modern interpretive dance, and then I recited a poem afterwards. And my brother was there, and my brother was like, you're an actor. 
acting is actually what you should be doing. You're brilliant. And he, he saw it for me as an actor before I saw it for myself as an actor. And that's where, you know, that's why I'm here because I, I'm an actor. And, but I've had to work really hard on my craft. I think the thing about being an actor, a really good actor, if you have a lot of trauma and you've built up a lot of defense mechanisms to protect yourself because the world is really cruel. And I was like a super bully child. So I had all these defense mechanisms mm -hmm. that I needed really good training to break through and break down so I can get to the truth of who I am. And so, I needed really great acting teachers to deal with that trauma so that, I mean, what we do as actors is that we kind of mine the depths of who we are as human beings to give those things to characters. And if I have a traumatic scene, I can't like, you know, I had so many acting classes when I was studying with Susan Batson, I would be throwing up in acting class. Things would come up. Um, because of the would, trauma? Because of the trauma, mm. yeah, literally. And, and trauma lives in our bodies and lives in ourselves in specific ways. And we have to get it out. And doing sense memory work, I would like many classes I'd be throwing up. And there was just a lot of blocks I had to get through mm. um, to get to the truth of who I am. And that's a, an ongoing process, but um, I was finally able to, I think the one thing I'll say, there's many things I'll say, but when the Orange is New Black audition happened and this role that had depth and just this great story, I was prepared. I had done, I trained so much. I had done so many independent films, student films for free that when the opportunity came, I was prepared. And so um, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm grateful that it happened when I was over 40 because I couldn't have handled it younger. So growing up in Alabama, which is the deep South, and you were black, you were raised by a single mom, yep. and you were raised with your twin brother? Yes. Was, were you the, was that your only sibling? Yes. Okay, and so why, would, why were you raised by a single mother? What was that? Oh, that's a complicated story. And, I, and I, out of respect for my mother, I don't want to spill all her business. I met my um, sperm donor. I call him my sperm donor. I met, literally met him once. In your whole life? In my whole life, yeah. We met Even once. Even to this day? Yeah. He's passed away now. Oh. And I only met him once. He never claimed us. Girl, it's a messy, complicated story. That's my mother's business, and it's for her to tell. Um, <laughs> but I... I love my mom so much. You know, this reminds me when Cardi was here and Cardi said the same about her husband because sometimes, I mean, other people's stories are their story. So I respect that. Exactly. And I have such deep respect for my mom. And, I, and when people are always sort of, sort of deriding single mothers and saying, we need to like get rid of single mothers. I'm like, single mothers, particularly in the black community, have held up our community for centuries. Single black mothers and, at that. Right? And so I, mean, I, I think I turned out really well. I think my brother turned out really well. My mother was a teacher and emphasized education. And I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm an incredible human being. Not to be, not, I'm not, that's not I don't say that to be, yeah, that's I'm, not egotistical. I, I'm not saying that to be full of myself. I'm saying that like, I have gone through a lot in my life and been through a lot and through all of that, I, now understand that I'm here to be of service. And that started with my mother. That started at Bethel AMU Church in Mobile, Alabama, where I was, you know, every Sunday getting up, apparently, I don't remember this, I would summarize the Sunday school lesson every, every Sunday. And I, I was the kid who was like, I know the answer, I know the answer. So I was always, I was a nerd. Well, I know if you look at the um, Instagram, I know you was in the choir. I know you were in the choir. <laughs> I was in the talk choir, I was an usher. <laughs> I did all the things that one does in... A black church. So your mother, so is your, your brother straight or gay? 
My brother, um, what is my, my brother likes the term practicing homosexual because he feels the term gay is a white bourgeois construct and he likes the idea of practice more than orientation. So he likes practicing homosexual. He's also Negro Gothic, a term that he coined. And, but my brother's my brother. But he's been in his relationship with his boyfriend for 18 and a half years. Mm -hmm. And they're madly in love still. His, um, his boyfriend, Saban, is an incredible human being. Um, so my, yeah, my brother. And my brother has openly talked about this, so it's not my business. He has, he's been with women before. Um, I never have. Yeah, but in this, um, in but this, he's he's in love with his boyfriend. Wait, so you're a golden gay? I don't know why somebody asked me was I a golden gay. Well, I'm not gay. I don't identify as gay. Um, I'm a woman who's attracted to men. Um, I'm a straight trans woman, which is tricky for people. It's a tricky concept for people. No, the reason why I'm glad we're having the conversation because you know straight people out here don't even know how to talk to us anymore because with you know with how we uh, acknowledge who we are and our experiences. Like I've been with a, a woman before, and I remember when I went on Wendy's show. She said, you're, you're not a golden gay? I didn't even know the term golden gay was a thing. I don't have a golden ticket. I didn't have no gold in the hood. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that is. And, it, and I love being corrected because I think for our community, we're still figuring it out. How do, you, how do you process the hetero community coming to terms with all of our different pronouns or... It's a lot. Identification. It's a lot. And I and I get that it can be confusing for people. I really do. And um f around saying that I so I am a straight, a heterosexual trans woman. I'm a woman who's only attracted to men. There are trans women who identify as queer. They are who are identified as pansexual or, or sexually fluid. So we are not a monolith. Just like black folks are not a monolith. <laughs> LGBTQ plus folks are not a monolith. And it just, and I think it's really just about listening to people and accepting people on their own terms because trying to lump everybody together and say, oh, Laverne says this about herself or T.S. Madison says this about herself and it's supposed to stand for all trans people. That's, this, that just doesn't work. Why do you think it's difficult for our, the black community to get that? I think oftentimes, I don't want to say that all communities get it except for black people, but I really feel like within our culture, hip hop culture, um, hood culture, whatever, I just don't think that we can understand the correlation between the black experience and the LGBT Q experience as well, and the, and the similarities in how, you know. I, you know I, I've been called out in the past, you know, and I, I, most of, I've said in the past that most of the transphobia I've experienced in my life has been from other black people. And I'm always careful to say that I don't believe that black folks are more homophobic or transphobic than everybody else, because that, I don't believe that's the case, but I'm black, and so we get it from the people we're closest to, right? And often marginalized people police each other. It's complicated. I think the whole world is homophobic and transphobic right now. We see all this anti-trans legislation right now that's being passed by like white folks. So we need to be clear about that. I think for black folks, I, you know, I, I can't, it's hard for me to say what the issue is, but I think that like, there's trauma, and, and, and people have crit criticized me for this before and critiqued this um, take that I have. But I think part of it is the history of how um, the history that is in our DNA as black folks of how historically um, white supremacy has attempted to emasculate black men. 
not just attempted to, but literally during, we all know during lynchings um, that, that black men were um, castrated, emasculated, their, their genitalia would be cut off yeah. and pickled and sold. And so there was this whole sort of this simultaneous fear of, of black masculinity and black male sexuality and this desire to kind of emasculate that. And so I think that some black people who haven't like, done a deeper dive might think that there's some sort of conspiracy or agenda. I mean, if people say that there's a, a queer agenda or a gay well, agenda. I like what I find really hysterically, ridiculously ignorant is the correlation between how we show up and identify ourselves with somehow wanting their kids to be like that too. I always see online where people are like, Hollywood Unlocks pushing this agenda by shoving gay down our throat. I'm like, I'm just showing you the world. And the world is not just And you, you can't. And I think when people say they're trying to indoctrinate our children or make our children gay or trans, I mean, it's like if a media representation made someone gay or straight, there wouldn't be any gay people. There wouldn't be any trans people. Because for most of eternity, most media representation has been of heterosexuality, has been of cisnormativity. Like, there's still not a lot of representation of trans people. All of a sudden, there's like one or two trans people on television or gay folks on, in the media, and all of a sudden, people are freaking out. You can't turn somebody gay. You can't turn somebody trans. Either you are or you aren't. And I think what is so important and powerful for the people who are trans out there, who are gay out there, who might be a kid, that they get to see themselves. I, I went to an event last night. Um, there was an episode of Quantum Leap that was directed by a trans woman and had this trans storyline. And there was this um, guy, he was visiting from Hawaii and just happened to be there. And he's like, you know, I'm, you know, who's kind of nervous coming up and talking to me. He's like, I transitioned five years ago because I saw you on TV and I saw myself. And I didn't turn him trans. He just was able to see himself and have a sense of like, this is who I am. And we need that. And that it's okay to we live in my that. true form. Yeah. And, yeah, and we need that. Just like black folks need representations of different kinds of blackness so that we can see ourselves. Um, for so many years, there was so just very limited representations of black folks. And then like someone saw Cicely Tyson and then they were like, oh, I could be this kind of black person. Or someone saw Diane Carroll and like, I can be this kind of black person. And, and there's so many different ways that we can be and we need to see it so that we can um, envision it for ourselves. It doesn't turn us something, but it gives us a sense of, a possibility when we get to see ourselves. And that is why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I mean, no one, I mean, I just think a lot of the people who say that are saying it in bad faith. I think some people believe that you can turn somebody or that we're trying to turn someone. But then I think some people are not really making those arguments in good faith mm -hmm. either. That, they, it, that it's just, they want to... I like to, you know, make the most generous assumptions about people, but I think like what so much of this anti-trans legislation and this like big push that the conservative party is doing against trans people now is really about making us not exist. Mm -hmm. When the, the, you know, they started out saying that like, you know, we want to ban gender affirming care for children because children, you know, we have to protect the children. But now there's a bill in Ohio that would ban um, gender affirming care up to the age of 26. Mm -hmm. And there's another state that wants to ban it for adults. So this has never been about kids. It's always been about- But they use the we, kid to scare they you They use into, the kids yeah. to, to like get in and make laws. And then all, then now we need to ban it for adults. Mm -hmm. Now, Donald Trump just did a whole speech. We need to ban gender-affirming care for everybody. I'm like, um, 
Excuse me? Like, but but why, are, why are people paying attention to that? I mean, because if you really look at what's happening around you in the world with policies being formed, not only just for trans, LGBTQ, but black people, women, uh, the right to, you know, the right to choose whether or not they want to have an abortion. Why are people not angry in this country about the attacks that we see very clearly online every day? Well, I mean, I just recently said this um, on Jamila Jamil's podcast that what it's this is all a distraction. At the end of the day, what they call culture war issues, which are really civil rights issues and human rights issues, become a distraction in that, that come from mostly Republicans, right? They're democratically identified people who are anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ+. But I think for the Republican Party specifically, who, is, who are pushing public policies on the state level that are banning gender-affirming care, banning you know trans people from sports, et cetera, it's a distraction because the Republican Party does not have any kind of economic message for poor and working people. We have a homeless crisis here in Los Angeles and all over the country. There's no plan for that. Mm -hmm. The environment is being decimated and corporations basically want to be able to be unregulated so they can destroy our environment and without any kind of regulation or recourse. And so we can have all this distraction around there's a trans person on television or there was a performance that was satanic at the Grammys or whatever as a way to distract people from the reality that their lives are actually not being made better right now because corporations who are bribing politicians are screwing everybody over. Mm. Okay, where did this journey of becoming so articulate on the issues, educated on the issues start? Did it start back in Alabama when you first identified that you were born in a body that you may not have felt was completely who you were? Or what? when did that start? It started with my mom. It started with my mother being a teacher and emphasizing education and critical thinking. My mother was raised in the segregated South. And so very early on, my mother made it very clear to me what it was like during segregation and what her situation was before schools were segregated and what, what it's like afterwards. And that there was a care that black teachers had for um, the, the black kids that they were educating that the white teachers didn't have. And so I, because of my mother, I had this historical perspective already. And because education was something that she so deeply valued, it became something that I valued. And so I continue to educate myself. I continue to, I love reading. I love history. I love thinking critically. And I actually think it's so important right now when um, Ron DeSantis in, um, in um, Florida. Florida wants to ban AP African-American for the, history. For those of you that don't know who that is, that's the governor that's trying to just, is he the governor or senator? He's the governor. He's the, the governor, governor of Florida. Yeah, he's, the doing governor. He's, the yes. he's doing the most. He's doing the most. But the AP, what the deep thing to me about, I mean, they're banning, they're banning books yeah. all over the country. And it's the Republican Party. They're banning books and they're authors that I love who they want to ban. And I think, when I think about that, I, I think it's important, particularly for black folks, to remember Slaves. that it, exactly when we were enslaved, they did not want us to be able to read. Mm -hmm. They did not want us to get an education because the enslavers, the colonizers, understood that education was a pathway to freedom. And so for us as black folks, for us as Americans, we even if they as they try to take a ban books and you know keep us from reading this and this, it is paramount that we 
educate ourselves and that the education never stops and that that education is about thinking critically because there's so much media coming at us, so much misinformation online and our critical thinking skills are paramount to this fight that we're, we're engaged in right now for really our human rights. Mm -hmm. Because I think when it's, it's so important for us to understand that, they're, yes, they're coming for trans people, but Ron DeSantis, who's come really hard for trans people, for LGBTQ plus people, is coming hard for black folks mm -hmm. and AP, you know, AP African American nation. They're coming for all of us, mm -hmm. that we're really in this together. Um, I was on MSNBC a, a few weeks ago when I made this. It's always very tricky to make, you know, um, correlations or comparisons to the Holocaust. But the reality, the truth is that, you know, the Nazis, that Hitler burned books at Magnus Hirschfeld's um, um, Institute for um, Human Sexuality. Magnus Hirschfeld was this... Um, um, was this dude, this German dude, who started an institute for human sexuality in like 1920, 1919, 1920. And they studied trans folks, they studied LGBTQ plus folks. Lily Elby, I don't know if you know that movie, Danish Girl. She, mm -hmm. um, she had her first gender affirming um, procedure at Magnus Hirschfeld's clinic. And this is one of the first things the Nazis did were burn the, um, all the research materials at Magnus Hirschfeld's clinic. When we see those, um, the famous photo of books being burned by the Nazis, it was Magnus Hirschfeld's um, clinic and um, his papers that were being burned there. And that's that, just because they felt that you'd be a threat if you're educated. That, well, educated, but they didn't, they, they were anti-trans, they were anti-LGBTQ+. They were um, gay, gay folks, trans folks in concentration camps with pink triangles stamped on our, on our bodies. We um, were made aware of this um, when the pink triangle became a symbol of AIDS activism in the late 80s and early 90s. It was a reminder that um, LGBTQ plus folks were in concentration camps. So as we fight anti-Semitism and white supremacy and racism, we have to understand if we have an historical perspective that liberation for LGBTQ plus folks is tied, all of our liberation is tied together. Let me ask you this, because I still want to go back to your childhood because, uh, well, let me- This got way more serious than I thought it was. I, I thought we'd be kiki. Oh, we go, oh, the kikis are coming. The kikis are coming, The reason, coming, the reason why it's yeah. important is because one, um, you're a huge advocate for the trans community. And I know my audience, and my audience needs to be exposed to the knowledge, the education, Partly and the I'm fight here. that you do. Yeah for the trans community. I even feel within the LGBTQ community, there's a necessary emphasis needed to be placed on the advocacy for trans, even within that community. Yes. Have you noticed that? I mean, I'm sure you've- Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. there's a long history. I mean, again, Why is that? Why are we fighting within our own alphabet? Not enough time. There's, a, there's no, I mean, well, so there's a few different um, ways we can look at it. When we think about um, Stonewall, um, the Stonewall Rebellion that kickstarted the modern LGBTQ civil rights movement that happened in 1969, there were anti cross dressing laws. They're trying to ban cross dressing now. In fact, with all the anti drag law legislation that's happening, mm -hmm. it's like basically anti cross dressing laws 2.0. Did Trump so, just push the reset button on everything to just bring it's it all not back? Just, but, but, um, well, he just had a speech about it, but it's happening on the state level. So really what's happening in the state legislatures, we have to be paying more attention to because it's happening. No, I mean, did him being present, did that set the tone for the resurgence of all this to just come up so. all over the place? I think place? in part. I think in part, absolutely. People feel way more emboldened to just say it. Like before when they were dog whistles, now it's like a, it's a bullhorn with yeah. the racism, with the transphobia, with all of it. But when um, so it was trans folks, it was um, really non-conventional folks who started the 
um, Stonewall Rebellion. But then by the early 1970s, um, gay folks were like, well, we need to be taken seriously. We need to be respectable. And these trans people and drag queens, well, that's not a good look. And so they were pushed to the margins of a movement that they helped to start. There are, I can go through countless examples throughout history where we've seen us being pushed to the side because we weren't seen as respectable enough because folks were trying to have a respectability narrative, right? And so I think within... And the truth is, for a lot of gay, lesbian, bisexual folks, they're like, well, this is about my sexuality. This trans thing is about gender. They are different. But historically... They are different things and in a way we shouldn't be lumped together. But historically, in the imagination of the oppressor, it's all the same. So it's almost like saying white supremacists looking at black as light skin is different than black, dark skin. It's just, it's black. It's people of color. We're, like we're, we're racist. We don't like them. none that ain't pure they white. To, to the white supremacy, we're all black. Right. We're all black. And so I think that, like, yes, we are different. Yes, our experiences are different. And there's different issues. Comes, and they're different issues. But when it comes to the oppressor, they're... They're coming for all of us. Right. And we see it now. I mean, we're seeing it very clearly. And I think it's like we within our community, just as like black folks, and I wish we don't, I don't think we talk enough in the black community about internalized racism. And I don't think we talk in the LGBTQ plus community about internalized transphobia and internalized homophobia. We are all raised in a culture that is anti-black. We all are. I, I grew up internalized, internalizing anti-black things, anti-classist things, transphobic things as a black person, as a gender non-conforming now trans person. I internalized the same values that teach, taught me that I was less than because I'm black, less than because I'm trans. We all internalize that. So our work is to unlearn that, to come to critical consciousness around that. And so just because you're a gay man doesn't mean that you have an internalized homophobia and transphobia. Mm -hmm. And so it's work that we constantly have to do on ourselves. Because I, I really believe when we have issues with somebody else existing, that is, that's, that's an issue with me. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a there was a moment in my life, I worked at a um, restaurant called Lucky Chang's in New York for many years. And it was a drag queen themed restaurant not a drag queen. There's a difference between drag queens and trans women. Some trans women do work in the context of drag, though. Um, and I did to make a living at the time. And there would be um, this one brilliant woman named um, Veronica. She had um, a school called Miss Vera School for Boys Who Want to Be Girls. And most of her clients were straight married men who loved to cross-dress. It was kind of fetishistic for them. And so See, she was that right there, you know there's going to be so many little parts of this interview where people are going to have to pause and rewind to understand that because I don't think people can wrap their minds around that there are people who identify as straight who have fetishes or who have... Oh, girl. I know. Girl, that's a whole... Girl, they're there. <laughs> and if you're a trans woman on any dating app... They're messaging you, girl. Right. They're messaging and, you. And if you're on OnlyFans, <laughs> they are in there asking for requests, for sure. I mean, I don't know about the OnlyFans, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe you. But my, so Ms. Beer, so every, after a while, so it was a charm school. So they would let these, these straight men would like, you know, learn how to sit like a woman, whatever that means. But they would give feminizing lessons. And then they, their um, big sort of graduation was that they would get dressed up in drag or, and they were cross-dressed and they would go out on the town. And so they would often come to Lucky Chang's for a night. And the girls who worked at Chang's were so vicious to these, um, these lovely cross-dressing um, you know, folks from Miss Vera's school. And I found myself participating once and being really shady, you know, to these um, cross-dressers who came in. And then Why were you being shady? Myself. Why were you being shady? Thank you. I caught myself and I was like, Laverne, what, what are you doing? 
What do you, this is the same thing that they do to us. And what that moment was about for me when I analyzed it, it was like, I don't want, they were very obviously, you know, men in drag, men cross-dressing, you know, they, there, was, there was nothing, you know, really very feminine about them. They were like men in wigs, you know? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want the world to see me that way. So I needed to distance myself from that. So I distanced myself from that by making fun of them. And at the end of the day, there are people who are gonna be watching this who are gonna say I'm a man in a wig, who are gonna say the same things about me that I was saying about them. So that was a reflection of my own internalized transphobia that I had to interrogate and let go of. And it was a me issue. It wasn't an issue with them. It was I needed to work on myself and my own internalized transphobia. And I think that's the work we have to do. And because, and, I mean, Leontine Price, my idol, my idol. She's an, she's an opera singer, black uh, woman, pioneer opera singer. She she always said that you know, racism is never the art, um, problem of the black artist. It's everyone else's problem. And why should I worry about things that are not my problem? It is interesting you say that because I always go back to even when I talk about the evolution of sexuality and people exploring their sexual selves, that the thing that makes you homophobic is probably the thing that you're afraid of the most, that you have your own internal thoughts or that you've had your own internal whispers that you can't, now you can't drown out because it's all around you. And I feel like I always go back to what would my brothers say? What would my brothers do who are real heterosexual men? They ain't worried about who's sleeping with who and who's over with who and who's tricking off. They, because they're focused on their own lives. Yeah. Isn't that true? I think so. And I don't, and I don't want to like say that everybody who's, you know, homophobic is secretly whatever, but. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why do you care? Right. We're like, why? Like, who cares? It's like really not a big. Some people are gay. Some people are trans. Some people are straight. It's like, who cares? Like, unless you, it, if it's making you uncomfortable, that is like between you and your therapist. Go work that out. <laughs> Don't pass laws to like keep me from doing doing me. Right. I'm 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 blessed and highly favored, and I'm here for a purpose. God put me here like this, honey. Let me do me. <laughs> that part. So you're so on your own journey of identification. Were you ever? Did you ever identify as gay? I did ish, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I initially came out as gay because it made the most sense, people were calling me gay anyway. The f I've always said the funniest thing, the most ironic thing about my transition is that when I was a kid, all the kids called me a girl. And then when I transitioned, everybody calls me a man. <laughs> Not everybody, but like that is the sort of bizarre irony of you things. Know, I, so yes, I went through a period where I identified as gay. Yeah, no, and you know, I feel like you've been so consistent in how you identify, how you, expect the world to identify you, not by saying it, but, but just by how you live in your truth and how yeah. you advocate and how you educate on your social media. When you were 11, I know you tried to kill yourself. What was that about? That was about, this is hard to talk about, and it's also really tricky to see headlines when people sort of almost trivialize something that was intense, serious in my life. But I shared it because I know I'm not the only one who's experienced that. We know um, statistically, according to the um, last trans, national trans survey, that 41% of trans folks have attempted suicide in our lifetime, attempted. Um, so that was about, at 11 years old, my grandmother had, um, this is hard, this is hard to talk about. My grandmother had um, passed away and we were very close to my grandmother. My grandmother 
Her name was Emma, uh, Emma Cox. And she, we called her Medea. Um, <laughs> not like the Tyler Perry, but like, well, the, like the Medea of, yeah, that, you know, it's short for Mother Dear. Um, and she was just this beautiful, elegant woman who was made, you know, and, and um, cooked and cleaned in the um, homes of white folks in the South. But she was just this beautiful, elegant woman. My mother, we called her every day. We visited with her. She was just a huge part of my, mm -hmm. of my life growing up. And um, when she passed, it was very, it, it fucked me up. It mm -hmm. fucked me up. And I, in my mind, um, I was 11 and I was starting to have these, feelings for boys and I was a church going child and um, you know believed in heaven and hell and so I thought that my grandmother was up in heaven and knew that I was having these um, what I thought were sinful thoughts about boys and in church I learned that even having the thought was a sin and mm -hmm, that you were going to mm -hmm. go to hell and so the idea of her being disappointed in me because I was having these thoughts just made me make me want to kill myself and I tried. Um, Oh, 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 this is never easy to talk about. Um, mm. It's so funny because my mom now will she'll she'll see me and she'll say, "Oh, you look like you like Maria, or you have these moments when you look like her." And um, that's just that's just the most awesome thing ever. Um, and I know that now she's proud of me. But that's what was going on. And the reason why I ask the um, question is because when you bring in it to today and you look at what mm -hmm. Zaya Wade, what she's gone through online and. You know, she has a lot of support from her parents, of course, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. When you think about the child that's going through it in the midst of now social media, having this big public conversation, yeah. do you go back to that time when you were going through what you were going through and relate in any way? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I had suicidal thoughts as an adult as well. And I mean, I didn't try again, but I had, I had plans. <laughs> I, had, I like had a very, um, there was a specific, it was, Early 2000s, I had a real, I, um, the plan was um, that I would make, um, we, I, my mom was actually visiting um, New York and we went to the top of the Empire State Building. And there was this one, there was just this window that was open. Like you, anybody on the could just, of like on your way up, that was very high. I'm like, somebody could just jump out of this window. This, there was no bars on it. I was like, somebody, and my mother was like, why would you say that? And I literally started thinking, I could go. This is how I could do it. Things were hard. And early transition for me in New York was, People, I was being harassed on the street like every day. It was just brutal. And I just, it was, I just couldn't take it. And the plan was though, I would, um, I was, um, I actually even typed them up. Oy vey. Um, I typed up these um, um, notes and I was like, my name is Laverne Cox and I should be referred to as she, by she and her pronouns. And um, in my death, I should never be dead named. My other you know, name before I transition should not be used. And I was gonna have, um, Wow, and I have the plan was to have the um, notes in my pockets and in my purse, so that um, when my body was found, that I wouldn't be misgendered in my death. Because so often um, that happens to trans people. It's particularly at that time we would be misgendered in our death, and I just didn't want um, that to happen to me. So um, I didn't think I'd be crying on Jason Lee's show. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so um, I didn't um, try to kill myself then, but there was, the notes were typed and there was a plan and somehow, and I think the reason I didn't then is because I had, um, I was taking acting classes and I loved, I loved acting and I loved being an artist and like being a creative person has been consistently the thing that has like kept me going and kept me alive, mm -hmm. like being creative and being, performing and being an artist 
it saved my life over and over again. Um, yeah. See, earlier we were talking about confidence. Where did you find the confidence to believe that it would be okay and just to keep pushing? Because, I mean, we all have different levels of stress. I've been stressed out. I just had the worst anxiety and depression experience for, like, the last few months. And I had to actively, like, tell myself daily to get through it. How did you find the confidence? Because there's people watching who I know are connecting to what you're saying, who are going through their own thoughts, um, to just push through. It wasn't confident. And, 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 and people have always thought that I was confident. I look at you as an, I mean, from the outside, right? I look at you as extremely confident. I mean, the one thing that just radiates off of your social media, and even being in a, in a room with you, you command, there's a presence that just commands everybody's attention. And I was at your party, which we'll get into when we get into the Kiki in, uh, in New York, where you were just surrounded by a lot of love. But I also was watching how people were watching you. I mean, people... I think go to you as a source of inspiration, not just within your own community, but just online, period. So I look at it as confidence, but for, if it wasn't that, what was it? It was passion mm. and it was love. It was passion for um, art, for acting, for performing. And I love the craft of acting. I love studying it and I loved performing so much that all of the insecurities, and there were many and there still are, the love and the passion like was so big and so deep that it overcame the insecurities. Mm. And I would be, I would be insecure doing, but the, I just loved it so much. Mm. And so the love and the passion for what I do is really what has been the thing that's kept me alive. And that I love what I do and that I love, I love art and I love brilliant artists. I love, and fashion is a part of that for me. And I love excellence and, and virtuosity. You know, I just love that. And it just gets me so excited. And it's a reason to live, you know, wonderful art, wonderful singing. I love opera singing. It's a reason to live, you know, go away. I've gone to the Mugler exhibit in Brooklyn Museum like four times now. That's a reason to live. Wait, you know, put art a is a reason to live. We gotta put a pin in that because I'm gonna go ahead and give you a gift right now since you just brought that up. Oh. This okay. is a gift. We give our guests gifts here uh, at the Jason Lee Show. I'm gonna let you open that so, one. Oh, first. am I opening it? Okay. Yes. Back to next buckles. Duet. <laughs> now I'm sure you already have a microphone. I do. It's not connected to anything right now. Oh, that so has a speaker is... and everything. There's two in there. So if you ever have a it comes with a speaker, work. Yes, it's on the actual microphone. I love it. Thank you. So, but the reason why I gave you that is because on your Instagram, you are singing. My my friend is <laughs> my friend is a neighbor of yours, and you are performing and you sing opera. Wait, you have a neighbor? My a, a friend, friend who's my a friend neighbor of mine literally lives next. Like the like yes, in your I LA. am so sorry. Can you? No. What's their name? No. Don't listen. Her name I'm is Sarah. So her name is Sarah. I'm so sorry, Sarah. Because I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> because I am there's the noises that come out of me, sometimes they're pretty, but most of the time they're not. Now, you're but you are performing. <laughs> you are not just, you know, I have a little character machine. I'm you don't even need a machine. It's so funny because me and Sarah have the same when you're performing, she will send me a video of you actually she, you can hear you singing. Sarah, There's I had some bad that. singing. I do some bad singing. But the thing about when you train operatically, you don't need a microphone, ideally. Um, it depends on the acoustics. When you train properly, you, the voice should you know, carry with, yeah. with your own breath support. And 
Why choose that? Why that? Why operatic? Is that just your thing? It just speaks to me. You know, I, I'm just, an, I'm, I'm an art school kid who's kind of weird, you know, and I embrace that. I, I, I fell in love with opera at the Alabama School of Fine Arts, but I heard Leontine Price sing probably when I was about 10 or 11 years old and was just like, Leontine Price is an opera singer. Google her. She's She's legendary. Legendary. First black woman to sing televised opera in 1955. There were protests, you know, on NBC. Um, 42 minutes standing ovation when she made a Metropolitan Opera debut. Opened the new Lincoln Center in 1966. Icon, living icon. And she's going to actually, um, February 10th is her birthday. She's going to be 96 years old. Have you met her? We've never met. Really? Um, she doesn't take guests now. I've tried. Um, she's not seeing, you know, the you know guests. But she is, um, yeah, she's still alive and, and doing her thing. But opera is just something that spoke to me. I think it's just the most beautiful thing. And what I love, I studied classical ballet as well when I was at the Alabama School of Fine Arts. And I think there's something about you, there's always something to learn. Um, and it's so hard that, that getting good at it, it's just, just to study it is just, there's always something more to learn. And I just think it's the most beautiful thing in the world. The, uh, the, particularly this operatic soprano voice is just the most divine, beautiful sound in the world. Mm. Okay, so the, you're, you've been the first of many things. So this show is on Revolt. So you have a relationship with Diddy. Uh, let's be clear. I don't have a relationship with Diddy. Well, I, not like that. <laughs> People, you, it is the Jason Lee girl, show, so let's be very get clear. All kinds, we'll make up all kinds of stuff. No, I did um, I did a reality show in 2008 called I Want to Work with I Diddy. I didn't know that. That was on VH1. You didn't know? I didn't know. See, I, I'm full of surprises. Um, <laughs> um, did you really want to work with Diddy or was that was just like... It was a way to advance my career. It was... Um, I, this is 2008, so... The year before, this wonderful woman, an actress named Candace Kane, made history um, with a show called Dirty Sexy Money that was on ABC, and she became the first openly trans woman to have a recurring role on a primetime TV show. And when that moment happened for me, I'd been in acting classes for years. I was 30-something at the time, and I was like, this is our, my time. This is our time. And so I made these post, like 500 postcards that said, Laverne Cox is the answer to all your transgender acting needs, sent it to like agents and casting directors, like coast to coast. And then I just started saying yes to everything. And um, so it was reality. It was scripted. And I had reached out to this casting director on like, backstage or actors access or something and they were casting big brother and i wasn't able to make it to the audition for that but he liked me and kept me um on file and the i want to work for diddy audition came along and i had learned at that point that you it's about building relationships with casting directors so i didn't want to be diddy's assistant but i was like it's about building relationships with casting directors so i went to the interview and they loved me and i think part of the reason they loved me is because i really didn't want to work for diddy i didn't care so i went in as myself i yeah. went in and just did did there me. was no pressure to be anybody's expectation exactly and i but i did have a sense of um how powerful it would be to have trans people on television i was watching, I'd watch Making the Band, I'd watch The Real World, and I would always say, what would it look like if a trans person were on the, on this show? Again, this like being trans, consuming this media, but not seeing myself. And I'd always wondered what it would be like. And um, they had me on the show, and we got to see what it would be like to have a black trans woman on a competition reality show. The interesting thing is, um, like literally like three weeks after I Want to Work for Diddy premiered, Isis King was on America's Sex Top Model. And so there was this moment in 2008 where there were two black trans women on two different competition reality shows. Have you run, in, run into Diddy since you've 
arrived? We've just literally once. I've been into a few Diddy parties, but you don't just because you're at a Diddy party doesn't mean you actually see Diddy. Like he'll come through the crowd <laughs> dancing with you know with Ciroc, and then he disappears. Or De Leon, um, De Leon. Yes. Um, and but I, I was at the iHeartRadio Awards. God, this would have been 2019, I think. And I was backstage with my boyfriend at the time, who was obsessed with Diddy. And he was there, and we like finally talked after all those years. And he was so sweet. He said, "I'm so proud of you," and it just, it's just amazing. And he, um, and then I, then I interviewed him at the Oscars last year on the red carpet, um, which was lovely. But that was so twice I've run into him since then. And um, yeah, that what was so powerful about that doing that show, and it really made me understand particularly after I, um, the Orange is New Black thing happened, it really made me understand the difference between Black Famous and White Famous. And um, obviously Jay Farrow had this show on Showtime called White Famous, or Black, well, called White Famous. And I Wanna Work For Diddy was like top five in Black households. Black famous, like yeah. Black people watched that show. Right. When I walked down the street, when that show was out, it was, people <laughs> knew who I was. But like white folks weren't watching it. And so it was really interesting having done a reality show and people have a sense of who reality people are and don't always, particularly then, they didn't really respect reality people. It's, it's shifted a bit now. And then the orange moment happened in my career and it was a show that white people watched and was you know popular with white folks and just noticing the difference. What's in the how, difference? I mean, a lot of white media just was more interested in having conversations with me than they were when I was from a reality show that mostly black people watched. There is, um, there's just a difference mm -hmm. in terms of, um, of audiences and acknowledgement. acknowledgement. And it's deep, it's really deep. And I think it's just, imp it's important to acknowledge that. And I think, and I, what I love, and, what, and part of the reason I'm here, is that there is this wonderful black media ecosystem that is thriving and that I consume, that I'm watching. And I, part of me wants to see, you know, I'm partly here because I'm like, we, I, we love our T.S. Madisons and we love, you know, um, who's just breaking so much ground and speaking to this audience in such a real way. People connect with Maddie. They're getting real cozy with her. They're getting real cozy. Yes! <laughs> um, and she's brilliant and she is just a superstar. Like some people are just superstars. You can't hold T.S. Madison back. She was always meant to be. I agree. A, a, be everything that she is now. And, and, and there's more to come. And I love that for her. But I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm black too. And I'm doing my thing too. And, I, and I'm just, I, I just think for, uh, for me with representation, I always have believed it's about more. I think as we've seen the proliferation of more black folks on, on, on television, when one black person does something that is questionable or whatever, like for the most part, black folks don't like think that this is a reflection on every black person. We're like, this is this one black person. And I think the more trans representation we have, like the more, I love that we have our ratchet girls. I love that we have our problematic girls. I mean, and there have been moments when people are like, you need to get your girl, your, your trans sister together. And I'm like, I can't, I can't tell somebody how to live their lives or how to 
work their hustle because there's a, everybody has their hustle and everybody can't do everything. And I'm here for all of it. It's just that we need to have more of it. You know, I think we should we should be able to have space to be ratchet and to be We're not um, a problematic yeah. and whatever. And, you know, so much, you know, the particularly beginning of my career when I was on the cover of Time magazine and I got the first Emmy nomination, I was like, oh my God, I can't make a mistake because I'm representing my whole community is going to reflect badly. And there's that's a lot of pressure and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm not perfect. And what I love about this moment is that there's so many of us with um, public platforms now that we can, I can just be even more, more myself and I'm messy sometimes and I'm problematic sometimes and I'm whatever, you know, I get to be human. I get to be a human being. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we, ha we have to see the humanity in everyone. And that's, that's my work as an, art, as an art artist, as an actress, as a person who hosts a TV show and interviews people on the red carpet. I want, I'm interested in everyone's humanity. This is two of the reasons why I wanted you to be here, why it's important. One, because I think that you have a lot to say that people need to hear when it comes to your own advocacy and the advocacy you do for our community. But two, I think you've reached a level of white fame that as a black media outlet who speaks to black people. I mean, I speak to everybody, but you know, our, most of our followers are people of color, black folks all over the world. Um, we need to, one, continue to support our black artists when they continue to elevate and get other audiences. And two, for you to be here is important too, because this brings us into a world that we're trying to level the playing field for. So I appreciate you. I think being it's a part I, of mean, that. I, I so often, you know, I was on I was on the red carpet on the Grammys were a few days ago, and she went on the red carpet. She was the first stop at the red carpet on the Grammys. She had the biggest platform uh, with E on the red carpet. Everybody, when they walked through that door, had to stop with you first. That was great, and that just that representation and that inclusion right there. On a carpet that huge is is amazing. It's 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 wonderful, and I you know I but I wanted to I was I did want to say I was um, I passed um, Al Al Reynolds who was um, repping for Fox Soul and like when I'm working for E they don't want me doing interviews with other folks <laughs> I'm like literally contractually obligated to like be E's person when I'm doing hosting the red carpet for them so like I. It's it's important to support like our our, our black media, our LGBTQ plus media, um, alternative media's of all all sorts, and so and I want to do that, and that's partly why I'm here. But what what is you know it's hard for me to process sometimes of what E and NBC Universal has done with me on this platform. I don't I I don't. You replaced I, Juliana Rancic, right? Yeah, Juliana. I that's was huge. Yeah. And the, the way it happened is that they asked me to um, host the countdown show. They have a countdown show for every award show that they did for Emmys 2020. They asked me to do it and I was nominated that year. So I was like, oh, this will be fun, you know? Um, so I did the countdown show and had a blast, you know, it was, it was myself and just whatever. And then they asked me to come back for the People's Choice Awards and I couldn't because um, we had some other stuff going on. And I think that they saw that and they were like, this is, this could work. And, and I love what it feels like with E is that I happen to be, and this, it feels like at this stage of my career, I happen to be trans and I'm openly trans and proud and trans is beautiful, hashtag trans is beautiful. But it's not about that. It's about what I bring as an artist, as an interviewer, as a person who is a, as a, as a peer of many of the folks that I interview, um, that I, and I try to say this without arrogance, but I work my ass off. Mm -hmm. I prepare and I research and I'm interested in 
excellence. I'm interested in being really good at everything I do. And I'm not... I have always have issues. I always have a critique of an interview. I always have a critique of a performance. But I'm striving for and going for excellence and being exceptional. That is how I was raised. Those are the people, mostly black women, who inspire me, who are exceptional. And that is what I'm striving for. Is that in because my of your own pressure or other pressures? I try not to have it see it as pressure now. I'm trying to be in a space now where it's not standard, pressure. Standard. But it's about having a working at a high standard and doing it with joy. I am having a lot of fun. When I first started doing the red carpet, I put so much pressure on myself and I got watching every movie, watching every TV show, watching multiple interviews of every person I could potentially interview on the red carpet, like just over-preparing. Like I've learned, I learned early on to over-prepare and I still over-prepare, but I'm trying to do it with joy now and without the pressure. And then if I'm not as prepared as I would like to be, and it's never enough, right? At a certain point, you just have to like trust and go. Um, but I'm striving for excellence and, I'm, and, and, and that for me is deeply rooted in a, in a black tradition that I feel deeply connected to through artists like Leontine Price and Diane Carroll and, and Eartha Kitt and, and Cicely Tyson and et cetera. And, and that is what I'm here to be excellent and to be really good at what I do. And I take everything I do very serious and I work really hard at it. And I, and I think I see a lot of, con I don't try not to read too many things online, but I, I see people, I remember when I got the job at E and people were like, oh, they're trying to push an agenda. Oh, what does she know about interviewing people? Oh, why don't they have a real journalist? All the things that people say. And what has been so wonderful about this time that I've spent at E and some of the interviews I've had on the carpet and the moments that we've created there is that none of it's about me being trans. It's about me being prepared. It's about me being able to have empathy and connect with the person that I'm speaking with. And there are moments that happen. The Machine Gun Kelly interview that we just had at the Grammys that was, that was a moment. touched so many people and we were able to go there. And yeah. so this is this is what it's about. And that has nothing to do with me being, I mean, I guess my transness informs my level of empathy, but it's also being an artist. It's also being a person who's been in therapy for 23 years. It's in a person who is interested in Everyone's humanity. That was um, the first time I've seen him. Not, not, and there's no shade to him at all. Because you know, you see rappers, you see artists, you just look at their music or whatever. But he was very humble and humbling in talking about, um, you know, sharing really private thoughts, which a lot of celebrities don't do. And he was yeah. able to do that with you. What did you? What? How did it feel when you were hearing it come out of his mouth? I just remember being surprised, and I, and. I mean, how many people, he, apparently he learned in the car that he had, had not won the Grammy. He was nominated in one category. He learned in the car that he had not won. And in the, I, he, he, was in, he was still processing it. And he, what I gleaned from the, what, all the, everything he said is that he was like, I'm winning this Grammy, I'm gonna show everybody. That thing you were sort of, I'm gonna show everybody, I'm gonna be that dude. And then it didn't happen and it was like, well, and it, the, the devastate. He was devastated. Mm -hmm. He was devastated that he. It, it felt like he was devastated anyway. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. He was devastated, but then even he had the wherewithal in the moment to be like, "Okay, this is a humbling moment for me because this, my self love." He said, "My self love should not be about whether I win an award or not. It should be about something else, something bigger." And he was processing that, and it was very raw, and it was very. Like he was in the, 
because some people lose awards and they like smile and they act like it's a, he was like devastated. And I think that piece of like, I want to show everybody and prove to everybody that energy is not the energy. It's not a heightened energy. It's not um, an energy that is about the God that is inside all of us. When I think about um, being here for something bigger than me, being of service, that is that is the God that's inside me and that part that I'm a bad bitch, I'm gonna show everybody, that's really not that energy. And I think he, because when you're an artist and he obviously chose to be an artist for very specific reasons and makes music for very specific reasons, he was able to like come back to that in that moment and be vulnerable and kind of process it in and meandered a little bit. And when you're in, when you're processing something, I heard you're in therapy now, when I'm in therapy processing something and it haven't worked it out completely, it can come out mm -hmm. kind of messy. Mm -hmm. And it was wonderful for me that he was that vulnerable, was able to like express it and I was able to hold space for it. Well, you made him feel safe enough to do that. Cause I, that, was, that was a big stage to have such a very personal moment. Yeah. I want to be able to hold space for whatever people are going through. And, and we are able to do that more on if we're being honest because we have lot, these long form interviews. But whatever an artist is going through or person that I interview, I want to be able to hold space for whatever it is that they're going through. Good, bad, celebration. I want to be able to hold space for it so that we can have something happen, have an aha moment, have a, a moment that we didn't expect, mm -hmm. you know? And, I, and I've been able to do that with um, different interviews on If We're Being Honest, and we were able to do it on the carpet mm -hmm. on Sunday. And those are tricky, because you have like 90 seconds, two minutes sometimes, and that was a really beautiful moment. I've had lots of beautiful moments on the carpet with different artists. I mean, Smokey Robinson, Mary J. Blige, just Pharrell, I was, I was just surprised. I had met him before. I was surprised at meeting him and just thinking about like all the music that he, has brought us, that mm -hmm. has like brought me so much joy. I get like, I get emotional thinking about like, there's just so many songs where you're in the club. I mean, drop it like it's hot. <laughs> like I was in, when I was that girl, thank God social media didn't exist when in the you 90s, were in the early street, 2000s. So dancing to drop it like it's hot? I was, dro I still drop <laughs> it, like it like it's hot. <laughs> I still, um, this is, this is TMI. At 50 years old, I'm, pr I'm proud to say, at 50 years old, Laverne Cox can still do handstands. Um, for her man. I can't. I was nervous. I was nervous. I was like, last week, I can't believe I'm talking about this. I was like, can I still do this? I was like, I wasn't seeing my man for a minute. I was like, I need to give him something to remember. Like, can Wait, I still do hand, this? Wait, you handstands during sex? Yes. See, that, that's a little bit, I would have, that's a lot of coordination for me. I, I'm still. I was a dancer. I used to be a dancer. Wait, but if you're doing a handstand and having sex, doesn't that get complicated? Because that's a lot of coordination. So, well, that, well, yeah, I guess. Um, luckily, I had that. Um, but no, if, if he's in a chair, like, if you put your man in a chair, has anybody done that? <laughs> when you put your man in a chair and then, like, you kind of flip upside down and, like, you can... Let me find out you a whole freak, Laverne. I, <laughs> I didn't know. I, tr I mean, you know, I'm private. I, I can't believe I'm talking about this now. But it's but I, you don't want to drink. 50. You sure want to drink? I'm 50 years. But the point is that I'm 50 years old, and yeah. I still got it. Yeah. I'm not lightheaded. I'm like I'm, I'm I didn't fall over. It was like, and then I was able to, you know, oh my pop God. it while I was up there. I was like, yes. So when, and this is for my own education too. So when you are a big advocate for the trans community, and um, how do you balance? 
being the first trans two or being introduced as the first trans two and not be lost in just being an actress or being a host or being whatever? Do you feel like there's pressure to make that balance clear or are you okay if they... At that this procedure. stage, I think there's something wonderful about turning 50. There are fewer fucks. Which, by the you way, give. you don't look 50. And when you when we went to that party, and they were talking about Laverne's 50, where? Thank you. I, melanin is sickening. It's crazy. Melanin is sickening. There's been no. I don't talk about my details of my transition, but I'm not Botoxed. I'm not filled. I'm not facelift. I'm beat for the gods. But melanin is sickening. <laughs> Being black is gorgeous. It's like the aging, just for the aging of it. It's everything. But I'm Botox um, and filled, not completely filled. I'm a portion filled. Is that bad? I mean, I'm only 45, but I feel like... I'm I, not against any of yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like I needed it. I mean, some would say I didn't, but, but, you, but I it's also, like, But you, you have a little less melanin in me, too. So, I mean... That's true. <laughs> I mean, let's keep it real. Let's just, My melanin card wasn't all the way full. We have to do what we have to do. And I think that that's fine. I think fillers are tricky. There's like some interesting research on fillers, particularly under eye filler. There's this, um, I put to Dr. Gary on YouTube. I watch way too many YouTube videos. <laughs> Talked about how a lot of filler people have to overfill because there's a ligament here that the filler always sort of settles around. So fillers are really tricky. Um, Y'all need to stay off YouTube because Cardi says she watched the YouTube and put filler in her nose to make her nose smaller. I smile. saw that interview. I... I'm not why I'm not on YouTube to get things done. I really I want it's so funny because people um people think of trans folks and they think that we've had all this surgery and like, you know, and some of us do, but like there are cis women. I, I think Cardi's probably had more surgery than me. Like because she's talked about it. And she's, she's I, and been I, open. She's and there's open. no shade. I I live for Cardi B. Yeah, yeah. Like so there people do, do not misconstrue <laughs> me trying to be shaded. I live. Yes. Cardi B. L everything about Cardi I live for. But she's been very open about yeah. like all the work that she's had done. I haven't had all that done. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And so it's like this weird thing that people assume that just because you're trans, there's this big, all this stuff. I mean, I've been on, I've been on estrogen for 26 years. That makes a difference. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's not cosmetic surgery though. No, it's okay. estrogen. Wait, so you have mm -hmm. a gift for me? Yes! Well, you, you may, I thought, I was like, you were at my birthday party, so you probably already have no, it's it. It's okay. This is gonna be the easiest unwrap it. Wait, maybe not. There yeah. is a Laverne Cox Barbie. She's sitting here. Listen, I was we, round of applause. Now I can tell you as a am I a hetero gay guy? I like what is my term? What is I don't even hetero know. Hetero gay what? What is it? A straight gay. Because I'm like really gay. A straight gay. I don't gay. know my pronoun. I don't know my pronoun. As a gay nigga, I ain't never had no doll. But I'm not only going to say thank you for the doll, we're actually going to go ahead and bring that in. We're actually going to, no, come, just come right over here. We're going to put her oh. right here. Hi. So we have. Yes. Her hair should be styled. Yes. Let's have her. This is a first that I'm really proud of. That I'm the first um, trans person, openly trans see, person to have see, here a, we go, the first see again. to have a doll made in their image by Mattel. Um, I love that. I love that. And there's the there's not an agenda. This isn't an agenda. There are 
trans folks, LGBTQ folks of all ages who are inspired by this and who need to see this, you know, and, and people who aren't. And what it's also been so beautiful about my life and career is that there are people who aren't LGBTQ plus or black or whatever, who are inspired because I, nothing that has happened in my career is supposed, was supposed to happen. Like they're like, they're all these black trans women like being nominated for Emmys or on magazine covers. No, like right. not before me. So there, none of this was meant to be or was supposed to happen. And so- And the evolution of it and you being groundbreaking doesn't make it your fault. As they will say, like you're on the cover of Time or you have the doll, it's your agenda. It's an agenda you're the face of. People I think are connecting with your advocacy and your visibility and you're being blessed because of the work that you put in. They have a right and I have a right to live my dreams. Yeah. You know, we all have a, this is America. And I, you know, as many problems as this country has, I believe that everybody should be able to live their dreams here and, and, and be able to do with our bodies and with our lives what, what we should be able to do and what we want to do. And so, the fact that I'm a black trans woman living my best life, genuinely happy, you know, making a lovely living, being visible. People are inspired by it because it's like, this is not something that most of us grew up with. You know, the other kids growing up with it, which is wonderful. And it's just, I think my story is a testament to like, you know, a lot of hard work, perseverance and passion. There is a tremendous amount of work that goes into everything I do. And even if people think I suck at, people think I suck at acting or whatever. I do have four Emmy nominations for acting. Yep. Um, <laughs> somebody doesn't think I suck. And honestly, but to be real, I've seen performances of mine that suck. I think, but some of my favorite actors have done terrible performances. And that like inspires me. I'm like, and I'm not gonna name any of them. I'm like, some of my favorite actors, like, I'm like, that was not good. And so I, you know, hopefully I'll have a chance to do better the next time. And I think that like, as an artist, you have to take the risk to suck. You have to take the risk to, you know, maybe not do well at something. Cause I think we often learn more from quote unquote failure or when things don't happen the way that we'd like them to, then we learn from our But successes. you watch your work back and criticize your own work? Cause Absolutely. some people don't even watch themselves. I mean, sometimes it's hard. I mean, it depends on if it's really close to me, it's harder to watch. And I may need to take a couple of years to watch. I remember one of the second to last Emmy nomination I got, um, I, did, I couldn't even, like I remember watching, the, I watched the season right when it came out, for, this is for Orange is the New Black. And I thought it was too much and I hated it. And I was like, oh, this sucks. And I just was like, just, ugh. And I talked to my acting teacher about it and she didn't agree. And then like a year later, I get nominated for an Emmy for that work that I thought sucked. And I was like, why? why? I watched it back and I was like, oh, okay, this is actually good. But I needed a year to be able to kind of like be objective about it. And I think I was like, oh, actually this is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> um, but sometimes I think I suck, you know, and that's okay. And, I, and I'm very critical. I'm overly critical in ways that aren't not always helpful and useful, um, but I'm working on that. I'm a work in progress. So we talked about the, the bad bitch sketch and you're sitting there with Angela Bassett who's yeah. killing and finally, in my opinion, really getting recognized for her, her amazing yeah. talent. You, are you ever intimidated by any other celebrity that's sitting across from you that you're in the scene with? In a scene with, oh God, you know, the, the, the only time I think about like in being intimidated by another artist was when I worked with Jodie Foster and it was early on. It was in 2012 um, when we were shooting my backstory for Orange is New Black and Jodie Foster was directing. And this was like my, I didn't know this would be my big break, this show, but I 
idolized and idolized um, Jodie Foster. And she, like my first day on set, she comes up to me and I, I was, <laughs> it was really hard. But what was lovely about Jodie, it was her first time directing for television. And so we got to meet like three or four times before we actually shot, which is, which never happens in TV. And so what was great about that is I got to get comfortable with like Jodie as a human being. And Jodie is so good at putting you at ease. I think she understands that she's Jodie Foster and people are like, gagging because she's Jodie Foster. So she does a really good job of like calming you down. And there, it wasn't until we were, um, I was in her office and she, um, we were doing a scene, there, we were talking about a scene. It was like, let's try it. And we got up and I, I was doing a scene with Jodie Foster in her office. And in that moment, I was able to be like, oh, she's another actor. There's something about when you're an artist with another artist, even when they're iconic, you know, Oscar award winning Jodie Foster, where the work comes in and you're just scene partners. And I was a scene partner with her. And that was the moment when I was able to relax and not be like completely freaked out because mm -hmm. it's Jodie Foster in front of me. And thank God for that. Cause I don't know if I could have um, done the performance if like my first day on set meeting her was when she was directing me. And that was Jodie Foster got um, an Emmy nomination for that episode. It was my first Emmy nomination was for that episode. And another first, you were the first openly trans Right. First openly trans person to be nominated for an acting Emmy. There were um, there was a trans woman named um, Angela Morley who had been nominated for and won Emmys before me as a composer. She was a musical arranger and composer. So when you're getting all this success and you're getting acknowledged and you get the Emmy nomination, when is there ever been a time in your mind where you're like, I'm a bad bitch and everybody that has anything to say is beneath me? I mean, because at some point, like you could be like you could be a little cocky, you know? Um, I mean, there has to be. I mean. I'm not there yet. I'm like probably like two more beats away, but I you're mean, already there. No. I, I, Jason, I, I, I watch. I'm watching. You already know you're a bad bitch, and like nobody can, can say anything. Well, kind of, but, uh, no, <laughs> but but I mean, like I always say. I mean, I have a. This is Emma, my fake Emmy. I don't have an Emmy. This is Emma. She's my. I bought her some on Alibaba. We put a skirt on her or whatever. But when I, I mean, when I get an Emmy, I'm taking it as my plus one everywhere. Yeah. What is so beautiful about this happening in my 40s and the things that have come, the wonderful things that have come, is that it doesn't feel like it's about me. Mm. It's never, none of it's ever been about me. It feels like it's been about a plan that God has for me that is bigger than me. So it, me getting egotistical, I do feel when, when, when the Pose, when Pose came out and when I, there was um, in a head of Pose, the um, show that was on FX with the um, unprecedented number of beautiful um, trans women of color um, producing, starring in the show. And I saw um, billboards and posters all over New York and LA of those girls. I claimed that. Mm -hmm. I claimed that mm -hmm. I was like, this is um, this is part of my legacy. I really I did, and I and I and but that didn't even feel like an arrogant. I'm a bad bitch. It just was like such a sense of pride, mm -hmm. such a sense of like, because for a while when you are the only one. I mean, I, I will never forget the conversation that Sidney Poitier had in this um, this um, documentary I watched with Oprah, and he um, he was talking about winning um, you know the Oscar in 1965, and he said I knew that we hadn't overcome because I was the only one. Mm -hmm. So I was, I've always been cognizant of like, they can't just be about me and me being a bad bitch. It has to be about 
doors being opened so that other people can walk through, so that there can be more of us. A community, so, yeah. A community, a Hollywood community uh, of us getting to live our lives and to work and to be artists. And so I, it's not about me being a bad bitch. It's about how wonderful that other opportunities have been created for other trans people. You know, seeing Kim Petras like win, 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 win a Grammy, you know, on Sunday. And, and also Honey Dijon, we should note, who produced two tracks on Renaissance is also now and a Grammy award-winning um, producer who's an iconic DJ. People from New York know Honey Dijon, and I've known Honey for over 20 years. And so that's a beautiful thing. She's a black trans woman, you know? So this, these are the things that it's not even, it's not about me being a bad bitch. It's just like, I just, I feel the joy. Um, but how do, you, how do you not, because I guess where I'm still struggling is, you know, sometimes when you are fighting so hard, not just for yourself, but for other people and not acknowledged or not validated or an opportunity you believe you're ready for doesn't, isn't given to you. How do you stay positive like you, you are right now and, and not want to claim or not want to say, told you? Because it, it does feel good, I mean, to be petty sometimes. I mean, success is the best revenge, right? Um, and it's, I mean, Shirley Ralph, who I, I just, who I'm obsessed with now, and she's having this well-deserved moment. She's like, if it's what is for you will not miss you. And when things, and rejection is God's protection. And so when things have not happened, um, and I understand this now, I didn't understand it when I was 30 and like I thought I was ready or when I was 22 when I moved to New York and thought I was going to be a superstar in two or three years tops. I didn't get it then. I thought I deserved this and this and this, but I, I, you don't deserve anything. Did the know? journey humble you? Oh, yeah, girl. <laughs> when you... <laughs> 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 Their journey is very humbling when you can barely pay your rent, when like there's eviction notice, when you're in housing court. Housing court is very humbling. You were in housing court? Ha- Twice. And, like, <laughs> Where is the footage of that? Send that to Hollywood that, Online. That, girl, I, we were not filming <laughs> me in housing court. I was in tears in housing. I was in line in housing court with the eviction notice, girl. It's deep. It's so deep. And home, being homeless has like, always been my, one of my greatest fears. And it's that's humbling, you yeah. know, and I'm working. And I think this is the thing too, like as a, I, most of my adult life, I was working poor. I was working in restaurants, trying to pursue this, you know, acting dream, struggling, working my ass off and struggling in that the, the bills, the money wasn't always there for rent. And I was working hard and working in restaurants and auditioning and going to acting class. And there are a lot of people out there working really hard and it's not, it can't put it together. And the government needs to do more. Just, we need a higher minimum wage, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, life was humbling. Life was humbling. And um, I just, you know, when I booked Orange, I was going to give up acting. I turned 40 and it hadn't happened. And I was like, okay, maybe God wants me to do something else. The journey was very humbling. And I think because it took so long, it literally took, it was 20 years after I moved to New York that Orange premiered and like all of a sudden, you know, it was 20 years in the making. And so, um, there's just a tremendous amount of gratitude. And then in the beginning when it happened, I didn't know how long it would last. Because once you hit, you turn 40 and you thought like, this is gonna be my big break and that's gonna be my big break and none of it didn't happen. It's just like, there may not be a such thing as a big break. So let me hustle and make some money and like try to extend this for as long as possible. And 11 years later, we're still, we're still here, you know, doing our thing, which is great. But I think it also too, it's about, can you add value? Mm-hmm. What value are you adding to the world? Um, with what you bring. Mm. And that is something I'm just cognizant of. It's like, how can I add value? How can I 
hopefully be in my truth and um, bring something to the world that didn't exist before. So when you get Orange is the New Black, you're the breakout star, everybody's talking about you, but before it even came out, when you were filming it, did, did it feel like it was gonna be big? Or no. you didn't know? No, I, you know, my hope when we were filming Orange, I was so excited about the storylines and I knew it was just, the writing was so good and I was just so happy to get to have an opportunity to have material like this, especially as someone who had been training for years and wanting and hadn't had an opportunity. And I, I remember there was that, um, for Orange's New Black fans, first season there was a rap battle that happens, a whack pack, I think is the name of the episode. And I looked around, it was a big group scene, and I looked around the room and there were these, there were women who were in their 60s and 70s and women who were in their early 20s, black, white, Asian, Latin, Latina, trans, like every like kind of woman you can imagine. And I looked around and I was like, this is so beautiful. I've never seen this before. No one's ever gonna go for this. <laughs> like I really thought, I was like, nobody's ever gonna go for this, but this is beautiful. And I was, luckily I was wrong. So I, when we were shooting it, I certainly didn't think it would be, it would turn into what it turned into. I was committed I mean, those fans though. Were, those fans were just insanely obsessed. Insane. And still are, yeah. and still are, which is beautiful. And, my goal was to create a brand that transcended orange. So that whatever happened with the show, I didn't know we'd have seven seasons. You don't know any of these things when you go into it. I was like, I need to create a brand that transcends this show so that I can hopefully keep working. Mm. And the, 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 if you can keep working. What I've learned through all the ups and downs and successes and failures and mm, is that you how do you keep working mm. as an artist? How do I keep... Um, the next gig going, how do I stay in the love? I started ending my email, stay in the love, like 20 years ago to remind myself that I started this journey as an artist because I love it. And even though the business part of it is treacherous, that I, I this is what I love. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I'm at, you know, trying to continue to find a way to keep doing it. And then I pop up and see you uh, on, well, you popped up on Law & Order. Recently, I was watching all oh the reruns. Oh my God. That's Which literally one? my favorite show. Which one was it? SU, SUV, SVU, 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 girl. SVU, okay, that was my first. That's so my that favorite was, show. That was, can I tell you that I just so I that was that happened after Candace Kane and I sent out the postcards and my um it was my first audition with my now manager Paul Halepo and I went on the audition and booked it and we I remember I remember we shot that episode on Good Friday and my pay was a thousand dollars for the day which is a lot of money for me in two thousand eight and but because it was Good Friday I got double. And then every time the show re-aired in prime time because of residuals, I got $2,000 again. I ended up making like $10,000, $12,000 from that one episode really? of um, Law & Order SVU. I needed that money for- um, Stay out of rent court. For some, yeah. Well, housing, I, housing court. Right, I, I really needed that money. So that, yeah, that was the first thing I booked after um, I got my agent. So um, Mariska Hargitay. She's awesome. It's so funny, she did, I, did she, I don't know if she remembered me. I saw her years later. Um, I don't know if she remembered me, but she was awesome. And she said such lovely things. What was so beautiful about the work, her and Chris um, in that um, scene is that after we, we did my coverage first and then um, on the turnaround, she said, she said, you were so specific. I loved it. She, she made a specific note on um, an acting choice I had made. And I just loved that. that and, I, and I think what having been a series regular on a show and you have guest stars come in who are great actors. Um, you, you are learning and you are in a space, at least I am, and what was so great about her is that 
there were all these guest actors coming in and she was noting the work and paying attention to the work. And she's and the queen of that show, so she she's, doesn't even- and she's, I mean, she's the queen of TV. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, she was I, she, the highest paid woman on TV for a minute. Um, but I love what I, I love when artists who are very, very successful are still interested in the craft, are still interested in learning and in the space of learning. I love that. Mm. I love that. I know you met your current boyfriend on Tinder, which is crazy because I just got unhinged and people still don't believe it's me and I'm like hinging myself it's to so that. It's so hard. Like the whole, like, is it really you? And then they flag you your profile thinking no, it's fake. No, they flag. I'm kicked off of Tinder because somebody flagged me saying it was a fake account. So yeah, now I'm over that happened unhinged. to me a lot. Really? And with Tinder, we were finally able to get, because I had a meeting with Tinder because I met my boyfriend before this current one on Tinder as well. So I had a meeting with Tinder. So we were able to like- You know the people at Tinder? We, yeah, they called me and they wanted Help to do get a little thing. Band. Girl, this has been a minute. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I've been off the apps. I'm off the apps. I've been in. Um, but so we were able to fix it at Tinder. And then a girlfriend of mine tweeted about Hinge. And then I tweeted, like, it's happened to me too. And then they restored it. And then they, like, blocked me again. I'm like, Hinge, I only met one dude on Hinge. And then he turned out to be crazy. and Not Dahmer crazy. Fine as F, though. But, like, crazy. And just, it's a shame because there was a lot of oh, the a fine lot there to work with. Um, but he. But the fine ones, are, they always have, it's Laverne, I gotta be presidential. They always have good penis or good sex, but they're also gonna fuck your life and your credit up. Not always. No? Not always. And this is what I used to think too. And like, I'm like, because my boyfriend is fine. And I went through a period because I, you know, I, I had to let the fine ones go because a lot of them. <laughs> The treatment was not commiserate with what I realized I deserved mm. after being in therapy for as long and working on myself. And so I was like, the treat, I need to be attracted to you. You can't be, I have to be physically attracted to you. But the treatment is more important than how they look. Mm. And I, I got very lucky that my current boyfriend is a smoke show. He is fine. And you're in love fuck. with him. Like, let me tell you. And how I'm in love with him, but the, tr the way he treats me is way more important than how he looks. And he happens to be. All the, everything is good. Everything's on point. No, but maybe, everything's on point. Well, but it's about that treatment, so it's possible. But but they have to work on themselves, and they have to have. Sometimes when people are very attractive, they don't work on other aspects of themselves, or they don't have life experience. And and my guy is like, for, to be as young as he is, is very emotionally mature and very just. We process things and hold space for like some real shit together. That um, he just blows me away. He so was it the was it the handstand activity that made you want to move to New York? Because you just got up out of here. You come to my party, and then all of a sudden, I can't find you no more. And even when I'm in New York, you're like, I'm with my man. Like, you're that in love, which is crazy. Yeah, it's, you have to make time. You have to make time. I've never, like, you know, relocated for a man. And, I mean, it took me 47 years to meet him. And so I, what's great about this time in my life is that I have dated. I know what the shit is, I know what the bullshit is. I know what, I know. Like I, you know, I've, I've had beautiful relationships, terrible relationships, and this is the real deal. And this is special and love is the most important thing in the world. And so, yeah, I relocated. And he's 28. He's about to be 29. And so <laughs> 22 year age difference, um, men do it all the time. What do you, how do you, how do you, because I, I date younger, um, how do you 
Is he just very mature? How do you have? He's very mature. It's we. We were talking about this the other. I don't even think about our age difference. I really don't. And and it's and we we were like, yeah, it's never been an issue. And he loves old old music. He loves music from this because the music thing. You gotta. He loves music from the seventies, like sixties, seventies. A lot of rock, a lot of folk, country. But then just he his musical lexicon is really vast. And he because of what he's been through, he just is really emotionally mature. And we just, he makes me laugh. We laugh so much. And I just feel seen. And I'm full on crazy Laverne with him. I'm full on like all of like my full on crazy. And he is here You're for You're a Gemini. It. You don't have to say anything else. We know all about you. You know, I didn't know you were a Gemini, but now, but because you don't, you don't give me Gemini. Really? Like, no. Really? But, well, but I, I know you now. It's it's there. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely there, and he's here for it. He loves me, like the crazy Laverne, who's he loves all of that, and to be feel seen, that deeply seen and known and appreciated and cared for. I've never been cared for by a man emotionally the way he cares for me, the way he's able to emotionally whole space for me with all the stuff I've gone through. I, I mean, it's, I can't even believe it. Um, that like, I've been through some stuff with him and he's I know you there. ain't getting emotional thinking about your man. I am. <laughs> Fuck you. That's cute. <laughs> I, it's that's it's a, just, it's beautiful. Though. It's really beautiful. And I, it, and it feels, it feels like a gift from God. It feels like God brought this man into my life. And, um, how wonderful. And it's, it happened at this stage in my life. But I think I was talking to, um, I was talking to the girl who does my nails. I won't say, you can see on Instagram. We were talking and she was saying that how she, um, before her next relationship, she wants to get into therapy. Cause she, she was like, I think I had a good one, but I didn't know how to handle it. And I was like, we have to, we have to work on ourselves. So when the love presents itself, Amen. we feel worthy enough to receive it. So that we drink. feel, cause it can come. Take a drink, honey. I'm wor- and comes, I'm working on drinking in therapy, but I'm going to get a drink right we now. We have to be able to receive it, and we have to feel worthy to receive it. Um, Brene Brown says people who have Love connection, Brown. right? People who have connection and belonging feel they are worthy of connection and belonging. Mm. So you have to believe you're worthy of it. And so you have to work through your traumas. You have to work through your stuff so that you can receive it when it presents itself. But I, I almost get... People keep asking me about... Oh, you want to be in love? I, I, in my mind, I want to be in love, but I've almost given up. But you give me hope because to find love at 47, 48, to find real love the way you feel now means that it could be out there. That Absolutely. I could, I could find it. And it's God's time, not my time. And I wasn't even by the time I met him, because he was in New York and I was living in LA. It was the height of the pandemic. I was not even looking for a boyfriend. I was looking for, I was like, I can't be. He's going to see this. But I was looking for like a, a boy toy in New York and one in LA. I was like auditioning. I mean, like, you're You know, a consistent, good situation. So that's what I was in the, on the, I was kind of like over it. Mm-hmm. And then we just met and clicked and it started, it didn't start out as like we're in love, but then we fell in love. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, he went with it. I've been, I've, it's, and dating while trans is so tricky. And I, I think, Dating while trans book. Dating while trans, one of the books. Um, but I know women, uh, all women of all kinds, deal with this. Like a man, 
falls in love with you or has feelings for you and freaks out and can't handle it, right? And he was able to acknowledge that he was falling in love and went with it. Mm. And that is that's, you know, a maturity and a, he's just, he, he just blows me away. He really does. He's an incredible human being. Is that why you protect him and keep it private? Yeah, and I think too, this is what I, I, I was, I was open with my um, last, I tagged my, my boyfriend before him on Instagram and people knew who he was. And I think what, what became clear to me in that situation and what, what becomes clear to me about when celebrities talk about their relationships is that it becomes entertainment for oh, us. Oh yeah, for sure. It becomes entertainment for us and then we, people are commenting and it's not, they aren't even real people anymore. This is like people are in their business because it's entertainment, it's clicks and it's like, this is a sacred bond that God has brought into my life. This is not for your entertainment. And it's really that. It's about protecting us and him, but it's like, it's, this is sacred. And it's not, this is not for your entertainment. This is for my spiritual growth, well-being, my joy, my, all the levels of everythingness that we like operate on. So it's really about that. And I, th and I think that, um, The men who date trans women, there's such a stigma for them. And I don't want to subject him to that publicly. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a courageous, awesome dude, but he, I don't want to subject him to that. And this isn't for your entertainment. Mm -hmm. This is, I'm talking about it because it's hard not to when you're, when, I, cause when I'm, cause I'm so in love. But I, this is not for your entertainment. Mm -hmm. This is like my life. Is that what you think, Ruin, what do you have with Kyle? The social no. media I, I mean, being public. He, I mean, he broke up with me, and he had he's, he had his reasons at the time. And God, rejection is God's protection because, like, the current man. That's all. I mean, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> ew. Uh, <laughs> yes. I just. If I, I don't find love like this, see, this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to be in love with nothing that don't. I always. Say, I don't want to love anything more. I mean, I don't want to be with anything that loves me less than my dogs love me. My dogs love me. I can be having a horrible day. Everything be falling apart. Them dogs going to be right there ready to show me love. But do you love yourself? And are you yes. able to um, hold yourself accountable? I had a moment I, I, in two and a half years um, with him. I've never felt like... I, you know, there's a whole, a whole thing around attachment theory. There's an episode of Laverne Cox Show, my podcast, where we talk about attachment theory with Dr. Wendy Walsh. But it's, there's anxious attachment. Um, what is it? Avoidant attachment, a different attachment. Abandonment. We have abandonment stuff. That starts in childhood. And like, I've always had an anxious or avoidant attachment. I've never had that with my current boyfriend. And then I had, we were talking um, like last week and I had like this, this, for the first time in two and a half years, I had this anxious attachment. And I realized I was in a shame spiral and I had, was able to say, babe, I need to go to the bathroom and get myself together. And so I took myself out of the situation. When you're in shame, you have to remove yourself from the situation because shame is like, it hijacks your nervous system. I was able to go pull myself together, get clear about the shame that I was going through so that I didn't project that onto him because this was all my own stuff that actually had nothing to do with him. And so these are the things that we need to learn to do to be in relationship with someone else, to be able to like pull ourselves together so that we don't project whatever insecurity, whatever trauma, past whatever onto our current partner. This is the work that like I've been able to do so that I don't 
sabotage so that I don't create drama needlessly. Mm. I, I don't, I don't have a drama free life. I don't, you know, I'm married to oblige, no more drama. Mm. You know, we don't do that. We keep drama on camera when I'm in character and we don't have it in our lives. Well, speaking of stigma, I mean, in our community, why, why do we not, why do we have stigma with Grindr and not Tinder? Cause I mean, it's an app. Have you ever been on Grindr? Is there is there stigma around Grindr? Yes, everybody thinks if you have there's a whole uh, uh, artist right now. I can't Omar something. I can't remember his name, but they they saw him in a car and he had his phone on the table and the Grindr app was there. I don't know why people feel that way. Have you ever been on Grindr? I so okay. So all the girls. So when um when Craigslist was closed down. Oh my God, you took it to Craigslist. But no, but when it was closed down, a lot of the girls were meeting guys Mm -hmm. on the list. I call it the list. Doesn't it sound better? Before back pages. I don't, I think those are the same, happening at the same time. And like, I think a lot of people associated Craigslist with sex work and there were certainly a lot of trans women doing sex work. I was not doing sex work on Craigslist. Just to be clear, because someone, I mentioned Craigslist before, I was just, and there were girls doing sex work on Craigslist who were like, who would flag me and be like, (laughs) <laughs> Bitch, what are you doing giving it away? Um, <laughs> Stop fucking up the bag. Basically. Um, but when Craigslist closed down, then a lot of the girls went to um, Grindr, and then a lot of um, the trans-attracted guys followed. So um, I knew a lot of the girls were on Grindr. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I wasn't working for a minute. So I was like, I was bored. So I downloaded Grindr. So down, obviously, like, very incognito on Grindr. I did not, you know... Core fan base on Grindr, we can't be on Grindr, like my face on all over Grindr. So I downloaded Grindr and then I'm talking to this dude. Oh my God. I'm talking to this dude. It's like probably March 20th, 2020, height of the pandemic. Yeah. Talking to this dude, and I know a lot of people, and so I'm I'm never I'm not into drugs at all. And I so I understand that there's a like there's a whole party and play thing that happens on Grindr, not just with the gay boys, but yeah. with the trans attracted guys and the girls. And I can't. I can't be, if you're doing drugs, just I can't thing. know about it. Yeah, yeah. I can't, if you need to do your drugs, do them before you come to me. I can't sense that you're high, because that, we don't, I don't fuck with that. I can't, if you're doing drugs, do that someplace else. Right. I can't have that energy. It's just not an energy I, I need around me. So I would screen. I was like, do you party? Just to be like, do you party? You know? Just to kind of like, not be judgmental, but to get the truth, girl. Yeah. You know? And this man, can I even say, I got. He was like, he was like, yeah, yeah, I've been, so this is 10, 10 a.m. on a Sunday. And he's like, yeah, I've been up all night. We rented a hotel room. It's me, a dude, and three trans women. And yeah, we are doing, can I say that? Yes. He said, I never heard of this before. So this was 2020. So I was like, how old was I? I was in my late, mid to late 40s. And he said, yeah, we've been doing booty bumps all night. And I was like. What's a booty bump? I'm like, I'm go- I start Googling. You didn't know either. No. I was like, what the fuck? What is he talking about? First of all, <laughs> first of all, it is March 20th, 2020. Right. Why are you in a hotel room? With anybody. At the high- and with anybody. So right. first of all, I'm never going to meet you. And then second, booty. I'm like, what? It- a booty Girl. bump sounds like a super spreader event. Hey. Spreading a lot of things. It <laughs> so, so it's allegedly, apparently, when you take, I guess, cocaine or whatever you do a bump of and put it into the um, anus. And then because the, um, and the anus is very... Um, How my makeup artists know what it is? How you, you know what it is? You can absorb work. 
You can absorb the the anus absorbs drugs. I can't believe I'm talking absorbs drugs faster, so you get a, a faster hit. Or th- I deleted that. I deleted that app so quickly. I was like, I was so freaked out and scared, like on so many different levels. The pandemic. I'm like, because oh, the Dahmers are really out there even still today. I so I was on Grinder for a day. I was on Grinder for a day, and I was like. This is not for me. Grinder is the ghetto. <laughs> this is not for me. I'm still freaked out thinking about it. Can you imagine? It's yeah. 2020, March 20th, 2020, and people are doing meeting in hotel rooms, five, six people in a hotel room without masks, doing uh, booty bumps. <laughs> no, my friend who's in the other room, I'm not going to say his name because he, he won't sign the non disclosure for that. But um, he. He, he was almost chopped up and killed on Grinder. He went to somebody's house. They had all these tools, hammers, had tarps up, and they said it was like some Dexter stuff. Yeah, like yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, Grinders. Did not, he get out? He got out. He got out here. Yeah. Did the did it? How did? But then did, he ended up at a. But then he ended up at another person's house who tried to make him wear a do rag and have sex with him like a gangbanger. <laughs> okay, can we for the gays out there? Uh, this must mostly a black audience. But for the gays out there, there's I have a lot of um, gay male friends, duh. Um, and unconsensual race play is not cool. Right. Like to my white gays out there, if you have some race play fantasy that you want to live out, I don't want to judge that. I'm slightly judging. But um, I don't want to judge that. I'm judging it. Um, <laughs> I try to be open. It's like, part of me is just like, race, but pl- whatever you want to do, ask for consent. Right. You cannot be in a sexual situation and start throwing the N-word out. Or calling us Toby or Kunta or something. Girl, I, how many men, friends of mine that this has happened to, and I, it's traumatizing for me to hear about. We really need to, I'm actually doing an episode of my podcast um, um, called um, Good Sexual Citizenship, where we talk mm-hmm. about consent. There's a wonderful book called Good Sexual Citizenship by um, um, Ellen Friedrichs. And we, we, we can't just do this crazy stuff. We need to get consent for this and there's some people who might be into it but and like bless their hearts like you can't show up and have a bunch of Kanye's clothes around talking about you gonna dress up like it's a scene in Emancipation <laughs> speaking of Emancipation when you told Will and Jada <laughs> <laughs> you know cause if we're being honest when you're interviewing people, especially people you respect or whatever, and even especially on the red carpet live, you're asking people real things in real time. Mm-hmm. When you ask them the question, or when you brought up the emancipation, uh, the um, emancipation, the entanglement piece right in front of Jada, did you yeah. feel immediately that you were going to get a blowback from that or did you? It's a tricky thing to talk about now because I... Were you lucky Will didn't slap you? I didn't think that it would turn into what it turned into. Obviously, people were incensed. People were very angry at me. Um, I had I I saw a few, I I watched one video and I was like, I'm not watching anything else. The the girls went in. Um, How do I what I think so, first of all. I'm hesitant to talk about it because I I don't want 
to feel like I'm exploiting them. And I right. feel like there's a lot of people who have exploited different aspects of their relationship in their lives. And they've obviously been through a lot. So I, and I, and I want to be respectful of that. But for me, what was interesting, and I tried to do a live about this and people just weren't hearing it. Like they weren't hearing it. And what, and, and the live came out of me being very arrogant and saying, we need to educate. The Smiths are not pressed. Like, I feel like once what, what I witnessed on the Red Table Talk with them is that they were very evolved, a very evolved couple who was just not playing by the same rules or in their relationship that everybody else is. And I thought that was a beautiful thing. So me bringing up that to them wasn't being messy. People thought I was being messy. I'm like, this is, it's messy if you are in some traditional heteronormative stuff, but they don't even seem to be in that. Mm -hmm. So like, it's not messy to them. And I, and I actually checked in with Jada afterwards. She was like, it was funny. Yeah. So she was impressed, you know, and, and I had met her before. I thought the love, I felt the love, you know, I have such love for them and such respect for them as a couple, as just all of the work that they both have, you know, mm -hmm. put out into the world that I think is so beautiful and transformative. So for people to take it that way, I guess I, I, I don't see that. I didn't see it as being messy. I saw it was... I just thought I thought it was a beautiful moment. I, what, if we think about the moment on the on the red table when like she's like we were in an entanglement and Will's like an entanglement and and obviously it was trending, but it was like what I love about that the way same way I love about the thing I loved about Machine and Kelly is that they were willing to process in real time for us mm -hmm. and to model that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they were doing on that show that the world wasn't ready for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, and I think about entertainment, people, they, people are really wrapped up in some traditional heteronormative stuff that doesn't feel as evolved as what they were doing, modeling their relationship. And from my understanding, the Smiths were fine, mm -hmm. but the world, <laughs> was gagging and thought I was being disrespectful and all that stuff. And I'm just like, if they're not pressed, why are you pressed? You're pressed because you're in some traditional heteronormative whatever. And I think that is, um, everybody's not ready for everything at, 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 every, at, at every time. So I think that's what, I just think it's a shame that people, I mean, people really aren't feeling me still for that. Really? And, oh yeah. People still bring it up. Like I'll see them in the comment section, and I'm like, some people. But, but, but people let's still be fair. The Smiths have had a very private marriage and life for years. Yes. And and there's been so much said about them, their marriage, what's real, what's not real, whatever. Because people been and the people who are calling you messy or who said mess were the same people online with their conspiracy theories and want to know. And then Will became a huge celebrity on social media with TikTok and Instagram and making and inviting people in his world. And then she did Red Table Talk where you said you can't talk and be in a place where you invite people in to know what your, your thoughts are and be a stranger. You have to share who you are. And yeah. we saw very publicly this play out. So I didn't look at it as messy. I looked at it as people hold an image of celebrities one way. And then the minute any of that starts to chip away or they're asked something that humanizes them or makes them seem relatable to all of us who are out here entangled, because I'm entangled with alcohol and, you know, people on Hinge, that they just react in a certain way. I, I felt like, I, I think it took a lot of courage to be able to, to ask I that think, question. I but. think what, 
what feels, again, people have taken all of the things I think that they've given us with a lot of generosity and a lot of, and in the spirit of being of service and have turned it into mess and then turned it into entertainment in a way that does not honor the offering that they've given us. And I think that's a shame. And I think that's a, a really good example of keeping things private, mm-hmm. like, right? And I think there's, and it breaks, it breaks my heart because I feel like just, I mean, I met, I've met Data a few times. I had met Will for the first time that day at the SAG Awards. And she's just so, she's always been so effervescent and sweet and loving and just has this evolved energy about her. And the, that people would, it's just, the world can just be really, really cruel. Mm. And it hurts, that hurts me. And I... And it hurt, and it does also hurt me to think that people would think I was attempting to be a part of something that would be hurtful mm-hmm. to anyone. Because yeah. that's not—I'm here for love. I'm here on this planet to be a loving, a vessel for love. And um, so I think that, like, it—that's a shame um, that the public is done, but they're just the public just isn't, isn't ready mm-hmm. for that level of evolution um, in a couple. Well, I love what you said about it. You said, I did not apologize. This is not an apology when you tweeted about it. Uh, you said, if the Smiths need an apology for me, I'll find out privately and I'll do that privately. This is a love letter to them and an invitation to think critically about our relationship to what we call mess. I really, I love that part because oftentimes when people say, Jason Lee is messy, oh, I have definitely slung the shit. However, you know, when you, then they go, well, I don't know why he's friends with all these different people who we love. Well, sometimes being honest feels painful or... Well, life is messy. I mean, life messy. is messy. Yeah. I, mean, but, I mean, we, if you are in therapy or if you're in some kind of recovery process or some kind of trauma resiliency work, we use the term messy. It gets messy, meaning it's uncomfortable, meaning it's raw, meaning it's like you're processing stuff and don't know what, how to feel about something. And that just feels chaotic and, and messy. Um, but that's real life. And that's like being in relationships with yourself and other people. And that's what it means to be human. And again, I, that's what I'm interested in as an artist. That's what I'm interested in when I interview people, getting to some real shit so that to reaffirm and remind us why we're human and what makes us human and what makes all of us human and that we're, everybody is going through something. Mm-hmm. Everybody is struggling with something. I don't care who you are. And that's those struggles and conflicts are the things that make us human. And those are the things I'm interested in as an artist when I interview people. And, and it's always about love. It is never about I would never want to ambush it. I mean, like, that's ridiculous. I mean, I know that that's not me, and I believe they knew that and understood that as well since, you know, I chatted with her afterwards. So the world is going to do what the world is going to do, and that's... I, I, the balance for me is holding myself accountable while being able to be like, fuck these hoes, you know? <laughs> but so what's... So, and that becomes a tricky thing. This is and in therapy and with the people in my life. You know, I have I, my brother is amazing. My brother tells me the truth, whether I want to hear it or not. 
and I'm grateful to him for that. I have a therapist. My boyfriend tells me the truth. My mom. Like, I have incredible people in my life who will hold, help, help me hold myself accountable for things. And I think it's important. And I think that's the balance, right, of being able to... Um, I'm an ad as adults, we're responsible for our actions. And full stop, point blank. And I'm not a victim. Never been a victim. Children, it's a different situation. I'm an adult, I'm responsible for my actions. But then it's like, is this what I did? Or is somebody with an agenda mm -hmm. trying to make it into something else? Mm -hmm. And this is, the, this is where critical thinking comes in. Interesting. <laughs> so back to the Grammys. Um, Diplo said Beyonce bought her Grammy. Did you see that line? <laughs> did, he, did he really? Now, I want to always be a vessel of love. <laughs> <laughs> and I always want to be. I, I do want to. I okay, And I love you, give, Diplo. You know, I'm we're not friends. even drinking. See, I don't need to. This is why I don't even need to drink because I'm giving. I'm doing giving to you sober. I deleted about five or six angry tweets <laughs> after Beyonce did not win out for the year. I was like, let me. I had to really calm myself. For those of you that don't know, Laverne is the. She's the biggest Beyonce fanatic. I mean, I think you're like, you're running the beehive at some point. You're, you're involved I, I somehow. They're probably bigger Beyonce fans than me, but I'm up there. Yes. I'm certainly up there. I'm, I'm hardcore. So they're playing in our faces. It's like, okay, they're playing in our faces. How is Renaissance on the album of the year? Anyway, so one of my favorite things about her is the, the, the excellence, the virtuosity, the work ethic that is undeniable. Even people who are not fans of Beyonce have to acknowledge that she wor is working really hard and at a level higher than everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's just what it is. It just it's what it is, you know. That that she's singing with these rather new drunken love um, ad lib from Dubai. I'm obsessed mm -hmm. with that. The, the vocal arrangements, the singing, the dancing, the costumes, the concepts. I mean. Baychella, um, the Coachella show is just, I think, the best concert that's ever happened. And the, this, the conceptually, what she what she brings as an artist, particularly to her performances, but to to get to an album. I mean, Lemonade, um, the the self titled album, Renaissance. Just sonically, what's happening? The the way she brings together all of these different sounds, and it works. It's just it's, she's an artist, yeah. and she's she's <laughs> exceptional on so many levels. And it's just like. Does she need to like do an album on Saturn to like win album of the year? Like, what does she need well, to do? Well, there's reports saying that the reason why she's not winning is because she's too perfect. I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think about it and I'm like, none of that actually matters. It's, 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 none of that actually matters. It's beautiful that she's won 32 Grammys, that she's the most decorated artist in Grammy history. She deserves that. But it is, there's a lot of things that we can say about um, her never having won record of the year or album of the year. She won song of the year for single ladies. And how, and I think we can also have a conversation about Lizzo being the first black woman to win record of the year since Whitney Houston's I Will Always yeah, Love You. Saw that. In 1994. So there's a conversation that can, we can have about those big categories and who wins them and why. Have you met her? 
I've met her once. So and it was actually, it was at the Grammys in 2017. I, um, she was pregnant. It was when Lemonade was um, was nominated and she did the performance when she was pregnant and the chair tilted back. And I, um, <clears throat> Yvette, I had um, known Yvette, her publicist for, for years. I'd seen her at different events. And Yvette was like, oh, we know about you. Oh, she sees the videos of you dancing. And I was like, oh my gosh, she knows who I am. And um, so during a commercial break, I went, um, I went up, I was like, I'm her girlfriend Trace was like go go girl and I went and she was talking to um, DJ Khaled and she saw me over DJ Khaled's shoulder and she's like help me up help me up and she stood up which was still brings tears to my eyes pregnant fiance stood up um her face lit up when she saw me um which is just really beautiful um that she even knew who I was and I I remember saying I met Ty because Ty who um used to be her Ty Hunter. um I met Ty like you're like in Years ago, I was in Central Park with some girlfriends, and my girlfriend Mila had a boombox, and like she was Deja Vu was playing, and I was doing the choreography from Deja Vu, you know, the African inspired Josephine Bay. I was doing the choreography in Central Park, and Ty happened to be there, and I was like, and I told Beyonce, I was like, when I met Ty, I was doing the Deja Vu choreography, and she was like, I know, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay. <laughs> I think people don't realize how close she pays attention to social media. Yeah. I mean, she, she knows what's happening. She knows what's happening. She is in tune, deeply in tune with the fans and, and how we're uh, interacting with the work and responding to the work. And the fact that she knew, I was kind of, I was, it was a little embarrassing because I'm like, I'm just in Central Park. This is like 2009 or so. I'm in Central Park doing the deja vu choreography because why not? <laughs> and Beyonce's status happens to be there and tells her. There's this queen, there's this trans woman, the girls are doing your choreography in Central Park. I don't know what Ty said, but it's just like. But I love that you honor her publicly all the time. Yeah. Yes. I love her. Yes, absolutely. So what do you think about Stephen A. Smith saying that uh, Rihanna's performance, basically he shaded Rihanna saying that she's no Beyonce. Like, I, 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 I took an issue with a man trying to pit these two women against That's each other. That's the piece. That's yeah. the piece. I think we, um, and I asked Queen Latifah about this on the carpet too, because there's there's always energies and elements that want to pit women against each other, like particularly black women. And there have been, uh, there's this wonderful story, Iman, their supermodel Iman in the late 70s, they were sort of trying to pit her against um, Beverly Johnson and some of the other models and they were, and she, and they kind of got together and they were like, girl, no, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not going out like that. And they like created solidarity and like supported each other. And this is what we can do. There's always going to be people trying to do that. I think about the Tyra, Naomi mm-hmm. Campbell situation. And there will always be people trying to do that. And I think it's so important for us. And I refuse to be pit against another woman, another trans woman. I refuse. What did Queen Latifah say? Queen Latifah said, oh my God, what is she? Queen basically said that like, during our day, you know, people try to do that, but like, Get together and do and collaborate and do your thing and love on each other. Don't let other people get in the way of you like loving on your on your sisters and like celebrating each other and working together. She said that like the labels will try to the camps will have their one woman. We just work together. We just like said screw it and we just did our own thing and. Yeah. So on the red carpet, you asked Stephen Lacey if people were uh, sliding in his DMs. I've actually slid in his DM, but he hasn't responded. So do you know him? Because <laughs> I'm trying to you work. You better work, Jason. Trying, Jason is trying I'm to trying. Like, get the hookup. I, I, that was the first time I met Mr. Lacey okay. was on the red carpet. I do not know him. Okay. 
Um, I, if you run into him again on any other carpets, just tell him to slide back. Slide back. Yeah. He's trying to slide. Okay. <laughs> now, are you interested in a relationship with Mr. Lacey? Do you just want to hit? Like, what, what are you looking for? If we're being honest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no, I mean, I'd have to meet him to decide if a relationship is the potential is there. I mean, he's cute for sure. I mean, I can't braid his hair, but, you know, I fuck. <laughs> I mean, if we're being honest, I, I mean, can't braid his hair, but if I... <laughs> no, he's 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 very cute. And he's extremely talented. He's very. Sexy, I yeah. I was always attracted to who I was attracted to earlier on was um, Frank Ocean. That's why I, I was really into Frank when he came out and all that. But then uh, I don't know. And then I always Frank is very quirky. I remember um, we were I was at the Met the one time I went to the Met Gala. He was there with like a Polaroid camera, like taking. He said I've met him a few different times. He's just he feels like one of those artsy, just very artsy, like very introspective kind of dudes which I, that's my shit. I love yeah. that, those kinds of artists. Um, yeah, I have a, a very wide range of interests. But yeah, Stephen Lacey, I mean, if you're out there, hit me up. You know, go on a date or something. I'm a great date. All right, so um, when you saw Sam Smith and um, Kim Petras perform, and then mm -hmm. you think about Lil Nas X and how extremely talented he is and the blowback he got from displaying his sexuality on the stage versus uh, Sam Smith and all of the devilish attire and all that. Like, They're getting blowback from that. Like, are they? Oh, girl. Girl. Really? The right wing is losing their minds. <laughs> really? There's tweets. There's videos. Yeah. Well, maybe because I'm not in that world, I don't see it. In my world, they ain't saying nothing because they maybe, you know. I, well, again, white famous, white black, black famous, yeah. black folks may not be pressed about Kim. But the white Sam. folks are losing it? They're losing it, girl. <laughs> They're losing their minds. They are fully losing their minds. Satanic. Girl, it's a mess. It's a mess. So, yes, people are outraged. They're gagging. They're losing their minds. Yeah. So, it's... Girl, when it gets into satanic whatever, people really... They ain't playing. They, it, it's, it's... People have a problem. Yes. And it probably would have been accepted differently on the MTV Music Awards stage than the Grammys, right? No, the... Um... The the right wing who has their their anti LGBTQ they just agenda, take it wherever they they're gonna it. girl. We don't even need to be doing anything like that can be interpreted as satanic, and they're gonna call it satanic. Uh -huh. We're just existing, and they're saying we're trying to like turn their children whatever. We're just existing. We're just trying to exist, and they're making up narratives. So I think it's just really important to understand that a lot of folks are not you know, out here in good faith um, making arguments. They're just, they have an agenda. And we are, with our critical thinking, we need to be able to parse out, oh, this person has an agenda. This isn't about what's actually going on. Mm. Last time I saw Sam Smith, he was performing at the White. They. Um, Sam uses they, them pronouns now. Really? Yes. You missed that? Okay. I have to say this. Demi Lovato fucked it up for me. When she... <laughs> When, when they did the whole... Well, Demi uses she, her, no, they, no, them. They but, use... but, but the T.S. Madison the other day talked about the white girl trans and the black girl trans. And some of the white girl trans issues are not the black girl trans issues. I don't know enough. But Demi Lovato started by saying that you had to call them they because they were... Non-binary. Uh, Non-binary. And then they were a lesbian, and then they could become transsexual, and then now they went back to she, I think. I don't know. The last I heard, Demi uses she, her, and they, them. And I know a lot of gender Laverne, we got binary Laverne. people who- We gotta have a meeting. I think, I can't, I'm, I can't tell anybody. This is the thing. I'm, yes, I'm Laverne Cox, I'm whatever. 
I can't tell anybody how, how to identify what pronouns to use. That's not, that's actually none of my business. It is my business to respect it though. It's my business to um, accept people on their own terms. And it, because it's difficult, because I, I went through a period when I had a dif difficulty with they, them pronouns as a trans woman, fully like a de full decade or you more did? into my transition. And they, them came along and I was just like, ooh. I was like, this what, is the, what, this what is, is the they, them? Like why not? Okay, so if you identify as a trans woman, why can't we just say she's a trans woman? When did they them become well, introduced it's, to the? It's because it's because we have non-binary and gender fluid people, right? So if you are non-binary, if you don't identify as male or female, she is not going to work for you. He is not going to work for you. You need a, your own pronoun, and there are other sort of customized pronouns that freak people out. And I think, and I used to, I had issues with they them pronouns, and and for a while, and then I got really close to a person who's non-binary. And I, it they were telling me how painful it was for them when they were being misgendered by someone they cared about. And I was like, I need to get this right because I care about this person. But, I need to respect their pronouns because I care about them. But this is where, I mean, and I'm a proud member of the gay community. I'm gay as hell, I love being gay. We but know. I, yes, but um, I might download Grindr tonight too, matter of fact, now I'm thinking about it. Like living on the edge. No, but when I think about how complicated this has become, like I don't, I want to respect people's individual It's not choices. complicated. May I offer, it's not complicated. We actually already use they in a sing, in singularly, singularly as a singular pronoun when we don't know someone's gender. We already say they. When um, um, I met this person and they, they were whatever, we already use they. That thinking in those terms can be useful and it's just gender, it's complicated. And it's in the reality of it. It's like, it's not, it's like, because at the end of the day, there are non-binary people, there are gender fluid people. These, and there always have been. Now there's language. There used to be genderqueer, used to be the term and, um, Gender fuck was a thing back in the early 90s, 1990s. Um, this is when you're old, you like, you know, you've mm -hmm. seen it all um, or seen things evolve. These folks exist. Non-binary people exist. Gender fluid people exist. They do not identify as male or female. Some of them, their pronouns are interchangeable and some don't see themselves as, they see themselves as both or neither. They exist and if we are interested in respecting people the same way you want to be respected for who you are, if we want to respect people, like just use use the pronoun, use their pronouns. Mm. And it's 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 just that. I mean, and it's not, I get it. I get that it's complicated. I get that it's like, oh, it seems tedious. I think from the outside, it seems like, oh, here we go again with another like but something. But isn't it that though? I mean, I'm gay and I feel that way sometimes. Cause, cause but then it, that's it, dehumanizing though. Because then we're not thinking about the people who are non-binary and gender fluid and their lives that they lead. We're not thinking of them as human beings when we say, oh, here's another thing. These are not, a, these are not things. These are human beings. Right, but when you see somebody like a Demi, she's a human being, but I ain't gonna lie. I was annoyed every other day. Some could argue that was her evolution. So she's figuring it out. It is very tricky. But, but because tricky. she has that platform, it's you can't put out an announcement every day. a public person going through... A private transition. or Transitions or struggles with... And Demi has gone through a lot of various struggles publicly. All of that is very difficult. Um, and can we give Demi grace? 
as a human being. I think sometimes with when people are famous, we just get annoyed with them. We get, oh, this famous person who's doing this Hollywood, whatever, and this crazy famous person thing, and they're not a human being anymore. And again, my work as an artist, my work as a human being is to like try to find a generous assumption, try to give grace to someone. And it's unfortunate when you have to go through things publicly and it's not quite worked out yet. There were moments when I was younger when everything wasn't quite worked out yet. If I was famous and or you know had a huge platform going through that, it would have been real messy and people would have been like, what is she doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just life. Mm-hmm. These folks are doing it, you know, publicly because they were famous as children, but we're all going through something. Mm-hmm. We're all going through something and struggling with something. Mm-hmm. And so can we give the grace that we'd like to have extended to us? Can we extend it to someone else? Even if we find, there are people I find annoying and I'm just like, oh girl, here we go again. And I think that's, I can have that and then also like get their pronouns right. Mm-hmm. So, to, so what is a per? And this is my own education because honestly, I haven't paid attention enough to, and I probably should. But if I wake up tomorrow and say I'm they, everybody is now required to call me they or them. What makes me identify as they or them? Like, what is that? I know what he and she is, but I I don't know what they and them is. For, for I'm some, not some I'm, I'm not non-binary or gender fluid, but for the dear people in my life who are, they say that they don't feel male nor do they feel female. Mm. Or they say, some days I wake up and I feel more male, and some days I wake up and I feel more female. And like the he, him, or she, her does not, are not pronouns that encompass the entirety, the complexity, the, the breadth of who I am. Mm-hmm. It, those terms don't fit. Those terms don't seem to fit. The folks I know who are non-binary, when they found they, them, Sam Smith talks about this. When Sam found they, them, it was like, oh, this is it. When I found transgender as a, as a word and I finally accepted that, I was like, oh. It was just this relief of like mm-hmm. this, there is language that I can put to how I've been feeling my whole life. Mm-hmm. So for people who are non-binary or gender fluid, they, them as a pronoun becomes, the first non-binary and gender fluid is language that it's like, okay, this is who I am. And the pronouns that may coincide with that is an extension of that. Mm. It's an extension of that. And because I, you might not be feeling it, but that's like, that's what, that's what it means to have empathy. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to listen to people and believe them when they say who they are and not just stigmatize them as crazy. Because I think a lot of times, Trans people, non-binary people, people, they'll just say, oh, they're mentally ill. Oh, they're delusional. Oh, they're whatever. When non-binary people, trans people have existed throughout history, throughout history in indigenous cultures all over the world, there existed people who didn't identify as male or female or who identified as both. And they held sacred positions in those cultures, the Mahu and, and, and Hawaii, the Hydra in India. You're smart. Where are you be finding all this? Do you just be reading books or what? Are you be on the internet? Yes, honey. Because you're, yes, smart, you're smart as hell. I'm 50 years old. I should know a few things. Well, that, but I mean, I but feel I was, like. But when I was in college, I was really interested in, I got, I was a dance major and I was studying acting, but I really, I got, I was really into intersectional feminism. I was reading bell hooks and I was reading post-structuralist theory and I was reading queer theory. So I was interested in all these things. And I think we need this education, you know, when. Um, That's how you got that Harvard medal? I mean, because, <laughs> you know, black folks, I, I want a Harvard medal, but I ain't, you know, I ain't that smart. 
I, I, I'm, it's deeply honored. I got the um, W.E.B. Du Bois um, medal last year from Harvard University. It was, I was deeply honored to receive that. Maybe I've done a lot of Well, you deserve it. Black China, I love you, but I don't know if you deserve it. You got something from Harvard. I don't know what that who was. Did, who? Black China. I, I love Black China, but I don't know. Hard, like you sitting here, I'm smart as hell, but I feel like, damn, I need to go read some books after talking to you. I haven't felt that way after talking to Black China. And I love her. She know I love her. She know I, Black China, she gonna kick my ass for that, but I love her. But, it, but there's so much to learn. There's so much I don't know. But I do, I do try to be up to date on my, on my trans history, her history. Because that's but you you're, know. you're smart on everything, not just trans. I mean, like you. I, I try to be well. Is this from reading books? Yeah, reading books, lectures, podcasts. But yeah, reading is fundamental, darling. Mm. Yeah, I need to read. It's that. not just a line that RuPaul says be on, on Drag Race. I be reading bitches. All right, <laughs> all right. So, um, if we're being honest, when did you know? Okay, successful actress, uh, successful in the whole world of uh, TV and all, film and all that. But when did you know that? Getting into this space was something that you wanted to do. Is, is this your inquisitiveness we were, of people? Or? We, were, we were approached years ago about doing a talk show, and we were looking at daytime. And I literally, this 2014, 15, they were like, oh, you're too smart for daytime, is what I was told, which is, I guess, a compliment. And I let that go. And then when E approached me to do to host the red carpet, they proposed doing doing um, a series of interview specials, and that really excited me. I love May She Rest in Peace. I love the old Barbara Walters specials that she would do in conjunction with the Oscars or with you know award shows. And I and I just got very excited about that. Thinking about thinking about Barbara, and of course Oprah is a huge inspiration for me on multiple levels. But the way Oprah what she brings out in an interview and what Barbara Walters um, did as well was just iconic. And so when they, I got really excited about the idea of doing these interview specials where I could really have in-depth conversations and it really, with the podcast, they did a, um, one season of the podcast, we're starting to record the second season now, the Laverne Cox show available wherever you get your podcast. Um, I got to have these really in-depth conversations with people and I loved it and I learned so much. And so if we're being honest, it's an extension of that. It's on camera. Um, the podcast isn't. And so it's just been a joy for me. I, I, I can't say it was like one of the dreams I had to be a talk show host, but it's something that I found great joy in. And I think if people watch um, all the um, their five episodes of If We're Being Honest that are available on Peacock now, and I think if people watch, they'll see that there's something going on on that show that's not happening anywhere else. Mm. And so that's exciting for me, um, that we get to have conversations that you can't really hear anywhere else. Speaking of that, um, I just recently co-hosted The Breakfast Club and you were denied access to The Breakfast I don't know Club? If, I don't know if I was denied. Last year, I wanted I had my team reach out to um, Joe Rogan's show and to The Breakfast Club, and we just haven't heard back. So I don't know, I don't take anything personally, but yeah, I, I love The Breakfast Club. I watched The Breakfast Club. Like, yeah, we should go on and chop it up. I loved, when I, what really inspired me, I, um, I loved the interview with T.S. Madison on Breakfast Club, but the Viola Davis, I mean, I'm a Viola Davis stan as well. EGOT, Viola Davis, EGOT. Um, her conversation on Breakfast Club just really, there's been a lot of conversations on Breakfast Club that I've really, really deeply enjoyed. And so I was just like, I was like, oh, this is good. So Why I'm, is the Breakfast Club some uh, pl platform that you're interested in going on? I mean, I, a lot, I mean again, a lot of it's about the white famous thing, black media space. And I think that audience needs, I don't know if they need, I would like um, the Breakfast Club audience to experience 
to experience me, uh, another kind of trans person, but not, it's not even about trans, it's just my humanity. You know, I'm, I'm a four-time Emmy-nominated actress. I have two SAG Awards. I've been on the covers of countless magazines. I'm a Barbie. Um, I'm black excellence, girl, you know? Like, let's, it's like, and that's not arrogant. It's, it's, it just is, you know? And it's because, it's, so let's celebrate that, you know? Um, and I think that their audience would appreciate it. And I know there are lots of LGBTQ plus people who watch The Breakfast Club. There were some interviews that made it very tri tricky for us <laughs> as LGBTQ plus people with The Breakfast Club. But, I, but what, seeing Maddie there in that space was so, was healing for a lot of us. It was really healing um, considering their history. And so I, you know, I always go in with love and, and empathy. And so I just think it would be a lovely moment for them to have um, to have this black excellence on their show. I, I think you'd be a great, so they're rotating co-hosts right now. I think yes. it'd be great. And um, I will say, uh, having just uh, co-hosted for three days, the reaction has been just overwhelming po overwhelmingly positive. And I think it's because there are a lot of us that watch the show and a lot of us that want to hear us talking on the show and interviewing other people. So no, I think you were, I'm gonna call Charlemagne. And Charlemagne's actually been very supportive of me on my journey and getting in broadcast and stuff like that. I'm aware of that and, and very supportive of, um, of um, Flame Monroe. And yep. so, you know, it's, it's all love. And I think we're all hopefully evolving and able to understand that, you know, we're all people, you know, trying to do our thing and do our best and not always getting it right, but hopefully, you know, you know, waking up oh, and getting a chance to do it better. Charlamagne just texted me. Let me see if I can get me. <laughs> Let me call Charlamagne. But, um, are you calling him now? I'm calling Charlamagne right now. Charlamagne, the guy. Yes, sir. I'm sitting here in the middle of an interview with Laverne Cox. Say hello to Laverne. What's up, Laverne? Hello, Charlemagne. I've always wanted to call you Charlemagne, like the, um, the great emperor. <laughs> hello, darling. So, she, so she's saying that she, her people reached out to be on The Breakfast Club and that she was denied. I said, there's no way. There's no, no way. No one ever got back to us. So I, you know, I, I said to Jason, I don't take anything personally, but we never heard back. So I don't know. That's impossible. I'm sorry. You remember when I walked up to you at the Real Awards? This is yeah, I don't know how long, maybe like 2016. I told you how big a fan I was of your orange and blue black. I don't remember. I don't remember. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, she's in New York, so I'm going to give her your number. She, I told her she should come up there and co-host. I think you guys would have a, it would be well, a lot. I was thinking call an interview. Eddie. We call should just sit down right and have an interview. Call, call Eddie right now. Hold on. I got Eddie's number. I'll handle I'll call it. call him right now. On three-way or just call him directly? Okay, I got it. Let me call him right now. Hey, Eddie, how are you? I'm good. How you feeling? I'm great. I'm sitting here with the fabulous Emmy Award winning Laverne Cox in the middle of an interview. So we're actually filming right now. I talked to Charlemagne. Uh, she said that she, um, her team had reached out to have her on The Breakfast Club and that nobody got back to her. So uh, Charlemagne said it must have been a mistake, but here we are. Absolutely. Uh, uh, if you can't share my... Um my uh, cell phone uh, with her and just uh, they tell her she let me know wherever uh, the date is and uh, we'll get on schedule. 
Amazing. So this is Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Laverne here. Thank you so much. Um, Will, How are you? I'm good to have you on. I'm great. I love the show. I can't wait. I've just you've been having some wonderful conversations, and I can't wait to get in there and and be a part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. But like I said, Jason has my cell phone. You have it directly, and just let me know um, the dates that you will be available in town, and we'll get it. Uh, we'll get it scheduled. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you, Eddie. Eddie's the no, man. Thank you. Eddie's Jason, the man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Eddie. Bye. That's how. That's. Voila. So again, back to the Grammys. Um, and earlier we were talking about fillers, Botox, and all that. Madonna is getting slammed for uh, her appearance, and I know Madonna. She's, I mean, an icon who's spanned forty years of her career on different causes. Now ageism is out there at the forefront of everybody's tongue, just speaking about her being shamed for her age. What did you think about that? It's upsetting. It's de it's deeply painful. And, I, and as a 50-year-old woman, it's like, it's the reality. When I turned 50 last year, and even like leading up to 50, turning 50, and just being aware of how ageist the business is, and it's just really, it's hurtful to see what, because there's simultaneously this push to be younger, that you have to look young at any cost. And then when folks go and do the things that you're, that one does to try to be, look younger, you're still sort of derided and made fun of. And it's just, it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing and it's not, um, it's just like, I, part of me is almost like, I mean, just don't like leave her alone, mm. like leave her alone. And I, and I, she, I mean, I grew up with Madonna's music. I had posters on my wall. Like I knew the choreography to dress you up, to lucky star, to Papa don't preach. I still know the choreography. Um, <laughs> um, I, she's, she's an icon and there's like, there's no, between her and Janet, none of none of the women who are working now would have careers without them. So I just would love it if people could like, you know, leave her alone and give yeah. her, her her things. She does seem to want to have our attention though, in a in a way that um she 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 seems to really want our attention too. It prov that provokes a reaction. So I don't, you know, I've never met her, and I don't know what's going on with her in terms of her relationship to like attention and fame and whatever. Um, she's an icon. I hope she understands and knows that she's an icon, that she's um, a legend, and um, I just hope she knows that. Okay, let's play a game. So we play games here. This is the key that you were talking about earlier. This these games are all a key. Just so you know, those of you that don't know what a key means, you're going to have to go to your gay Googler and figure it out. All right, so the first game we're going to play is called Tea or Tweet. Tea or Tweet? Tea or Tweet. Now, oh, I'm going to ask you. just making me nervous. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question, and you can either spill the tea on what I'm going to ask you, or you have to send out a tweet to all your followers, but you can't tell them that I told you to tweet it. You just have to tweet it. Like now? Yes. Or you can answer the question. Here's the team. All right, so the question I want to ask you is, recently you hosted the, Gra the Grammys Red Carpet. You had the most fabulous setup, and you talked to everybody. Who was the absolute worst-dressed celebrity that you talked to this year? 
Um, the worst dressed person that I interviewed. I, I try to. Oh gosh, that would be mean to say. I like that's not part of my brand to be mean. No, like, but it's just being. It's not being messy. It's being honest. I mean, you had to see some. I mean, it wasn't me because I had. Uh, I, Tom there, Ford. There, when I when I loved something, I would comment on it, and when I didn't, or when I there were more important things to talk about, I would talk about those things. Um, oh gosh, I can't. I don't remember what people were wearing that that, that I found questionable. I, I didn't. There was one person whose look I, I found questionable, but I didn't interview them. Um, Who was that? I can't. I can't. Just okay. What are the initials? I can't. I can't. That's not on brand. I, these are, these are, this is not on brand for me to be mean. Okay. Um, <laughs> so do I tell her the tweet? Okay, what, what am I tweeting, allegedly? <laughs> my team's going to be like, what's going on? It's, I didn't even like run this by my team. I was just like, I'm going and I'm chatting with Jason. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to chat with Jason. They're like, okay. Well, what what do you, what am I, what do you, what would you like me to tweet? Well, the tweet we we had such a great conversation. I can't give her the full tweet. I was gonna have her tweet out, but the tweet was gonna be Donald Trump for president, twenty twenty four. Bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just tweet. You're having fun at the Jason Lee show. That's fun. That's fun, right? That's fun. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. You can do it before you leave. Okay, look, because the Donald Trump for two thousand twenty four, they would drag, <laughs> they would drag her for filth, right? And we don't want that because we love Laverne. And it's it's not even about being dressed. It's just not consistent it's, with my values. Yeah, but who was not dressed right at the award show? Who did you say? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't bad. Whew, I got hot over here. You know, little known fact people don't know about me. I actually do have like a soft spot for people. Only Laverne. All you other hosts don't get it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. Next game. Okay. Next game is called Name Drop. This is really simple. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll drop a celebrity's name. You have to say the first thing that comes to mind, okay. or a favorite story that you have with them, or whatever. Something that nobody else will know. All right. So first person, Doja Cat. Dorisha Kitty. Um, tired ass army, Zach Campbell. I love Zach Campbell. He's a YouTuber and he calls her Dorisha Kitty. I am obsessed still with Tia and Tamara, and I was hoping I was gonna interview her on Sunday and tell her how good Tia and Tamara look, but I did not get to interview her. I'm also obsessed with Cybersex, that song. I love Doja Cat. I saw a handstand as soon as you said Cybersex. <laughs> <laughs> that song may have been playing once or twice during um, a session. Okay, <laughs> I can't. Next person, Viola Davis. Viola Davis, one of the greatest living actresses we have now, EGOT. Um, I, the first time, the first three times I met Viola, I cried. And the fourth time, she was sitting right next to my agent and I had to go say hi to my agent and I was like, I cannot cry in front of this woman again. She's gonna think I'm crazy. <laughs> I love her so much, I could cry now. And I literally started crying, thinking about trying to not cry, seeing her again. And I held the whole cry thing, I got it out during Smollett was there, Lord, she saw this. Um, and I cried and I was able to walk by her for the first time and not and say hi. And um, um, Ma Rainey, um, no, it was before Ma, it wasn't Ma Rainey, it was the, um, the um, thriller that she did um, with um, Cynthia Riva. 
widows. Widows is about to come out. She was really excited about that. So we had a conversation and I see a calm and I did not cry. I, she's a goddess. She's everything. She is like, what she does as an actor is like fucking goals. And just like one day I hope to be this, it's this as good as she is. She's just like, and she's out here advocating for black women. I, I would say just like you're advocating for the trans community. I mean, just like you both dark skinned black women. Yeah. I mean, I think like I was talking to a friend of mine last night who's a, who's an actress who's who's black and trans, and I was just thinking about like how hard Viola has had to fight when she's. I mean, she's really beautiful, but the colorism is so real in this business. But it's but what's so beautiful about her is that the talent. The skill is so undeniable. God's time, not our time. Here she is, an EGOT winner. All right, next person, Zaya Way. Zaya and I have the same birthday, different year. Really? We're both born on May 29th. She's fucking that love work. I love Gabby and Dwayne too. They're just incredible people. The, I remember the first time I met Gabby, it was just, she's just, Freaking love her. Okay, next person, Meghan Markle. My first Vogue cover happened because of Meghan Markle. She was um, guest editing the, what year was this? 2019, the 2019 September issue of British Vogue. And it was um, the Change Makers or something. And uh, Forces for Change was the cover. And there were 15 um, women who were on the cover. And she chose me to be one of the Mm. 15 women. And so my first Vogue cover, still my only Vogue cover, happened because of Meghan Markle. So I'm really grateful to her. What do you think about how she was treated when the documentary dropped? It's it's painful. I watched I watched the Netflix documentary, and it was it, and I watched the Oprah interview. It's just so <sighs> racism is just real, and I think that there there. What it seems to reveal is that the, the empire, the British empire, has not, as Great Britain, has not fully interrogated their relationship to colonialism, empire, white supremacy, racism. It feels like they have not done that work as a nation mm. when something like that this, this egregious can happen, and that's a shame. Um, mm. Okay, next person, Caitlyn Jenner. Now, she be looking a mess. I don't care what nobody say. This one right here, the pauses. She has um, her, she's very successful children. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I, when, when I, the first time I met Caitlyn, so um, I, Caitlyn, apparently I am the very first trans person Caitlyn Jenner ever spoke to. And um, it was 2015, a friend of mine, a mutual friend, reached out to, emailed me and said, can I call you? And there were rumors that um, Caitlyn was trans, and this friend said that the rumors are true. And this was January 2015, and but Caitlyn's never spoken to another trans person. Would you speak to her? And I said, absolutely. Give her my number. And the next day, she called me, and we spoke. And she spoke about her children more than anything. And uh, those first few conversations, the day after her Diane Sawyer interview, I was at, um, people have been asking me about her all week, and I said, I didn't want to talk to about her until she you know, talked about her own experience, and I called her. I was going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and I, and I had been at the Time 100 earlier that week, and I'm like, people are going to be asking me about you. Would you like me to say anything? And and she 
she was very sweet. And um, I said, can I tell her that, tell people that we spoke? And she said, yes. And so, yeah. And again, she was, she spoke about her children. And so, um, yeah. You are so on brand. Were you going to vote for her as governor of California? I'm registered in New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we just go. <laughs> I am. I'm still registered by New York. Would you give her fashion sense tips, though? When I'm, I believe Caitlin's 70 plus. When I'm 70, I'm going to wear what the fuck I want to wear. Okay, well, that's something y'all got in common because she does. Okay, next person, Lil Boosie. Bless his heart. I don't know him, um, as Mariah Carey would say. Um, <laughs> I don't know him. And I, yeah, I, do, I mean, I really don't. I mean, I'm aware of, you know, many comments he's made um, about our community, our LGBTQ plus community. And... I'm sending him the best. Um, I remember I was, um, there was some story about him where he um, needed a car or something and he tweeted and like, or shot at it. And some like, a fan got him a car. So it's it, the, the ingenuity of like, you know, getting his fans to like help him when he needs it. It seems, um, seems interesting. And Would you have him on If We're Being Honest? I'm not sure we have much to talk about. <laughs> All right. But I wish him the best. I don't know I don't know him or what he's going through, but everyone is a human being going through. <laughs> and everybody's a human being going through something, you know? And you should edit that. Don't make sure that I the full no, statement it, no, it's just, is there. Yeah, yes. it's all there. All right. <laughs> the next person, Kim Petrus. Congratulations, Kim, on your Grammy win. I I haven't met Kim. Mm. Um I'm just really proud of her. And I love, you know, what's interesting is that there's so many people who didn't know she was trans until, I mean, obviously she said it on the Grammy stage. And so what I love is that, I mean, I've been aware of her since, you know, since she was a teenager. And I love that she's gotten to be an artist and gotten to do her thing and just, I love being trans. And I think I, trans is beautiful as the hashtag I started in 2015. And I'm proudly trans, but like, I'm so much more than that. And we are so much more than like, our gender identities or sexual orientation. So it's just wonderful that she is an openly trans artist, but she just gets to be an artist first. Mm. Okay. Love that. Love it. All right, next person, Oprah. The queen, everything. Um, my favorite, I love, one of my favorite things to do is watch Oprah commencement speeches. She has several um, online, but my favorite speech of hers is when she um, spoke at Essence, um, at the Essence Fest. And Oh, there's so many gems, so many gems um, from that speech. And gosh, what was, oh, yes. She talked about, there's a moment in the speech where she talks about when she was in Baltimore and she um, was, went to this rich, really rich woman's house. And she went to the woman's house and the woman had cars. She was like, oh, this woman's rich. And she said, but she was, had cars, but she had trees. She's like, rich people have trees. Oprah's like, when I get rich, I want to have trees. And, you know, I want to have, she, and this woman apparently had six trees. She's like, I want to have six trees. And, you know, she, she said, I was sitting in my home in Santa Barbara, and I looked out, and I saw not only the six trees, I saw 3,800 and something trees. It's like thousands of trees. And she said, I know because I had them counted. And she <laughs> said, 
my measly brain, my meager brain could envision six trees, but God can see beyond the six. God has a bigger dream for you. You just have to tap into that dream. There's a bigger dream waiting for you. If you tap into it, I love that. I'm obsessed with that speech. And I feel like, again, like, you know, you come in on the show, you know what it feels like to have a new show. You know what it feels like to get in this competitive uh, world of talk. And, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but really wanting to go to the next level. And, you know, I'm glad that friends are responding the way they are. And I'm glad that you're here. For you, I'm curious for you, what is your, I mean, I know you've been building an empire for a minute, but what is the... Like, what is the bigger dream for you, I guess, that as you embark on this new journey? I'm curious. And I'm, it's, it's, have you written it down? What's the, your intention um, going forward? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I love the fact that I'm independently owned and independently produced. So ownership is important. I think continuing to uh, level the playing field for people who want to create their own dreams and their own platforms. And, you know, at first when I got into it, I said, oh, I want daytime because I saw, saw Wendy. And then when I think about daytime, I don't know. There's also nighttime, and then there's prime time, and then there's your own time. It's really about the internet right now, though. It's, it's really about the internet. And, you know, when I go to meet with networks, the thing they say is, why are you trying to come over here when you're already dominating where we're trying to go, you know? So I'm, I'm living, enjoying where I am and then living in the experience. And I look at what you're doing over at Peacock and, you know, with NBC Universal. There's so many opportunities. I'm just... Um, I'm just living in the moment and enjoying what life. What is, and, and, I, and I think too, you don't have to answer this now, but I, I invite you to think about the, the way of being a service. My prayer for myself um, before I do an interview, before I go on set, is God give me permission to do this imperfectly and allow me to be of service. And again, Oprah talks about being of service. So what is this service piece? And I know that I, obviously there's folks here that who are, you know, that you are employing and that you're, um, cult talent that you're cultivating, but I think the the piece of um, I know you're in therapy right now too, and we need to talk about that. But the ego, and I think I don't. I think the perception of of you sometimes is that it is about ego, is that it's about something else, and I don't think that that's accurate. So it's like, how do you? Again, Oprah, um, another really good speech of hers is her um, um, variety power of women speech when she talks about authentic power. She says that authentic power is when our personality comes to serve the energy of our soul. When our personality, who we are in the world, comes to serve the energy of our soul and our soul being something that is connected to something bigger than us, connected to something that, is, that, that, that transcends our you know, existence here, um, be in service of something bigger. And that is authentic power. And... We all have that inside of us. And so I think as you go on this journey, I would invite you to think about your intention, being of service, and what it means for you to sit fully in your authentic power. Yeah. Where your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. And that can, you can, and authentic, being authentic, you know, girl, I have my kiki, it's slightly messy, slightly messy. Um, just be, you can be, you can be you, yeah. but like in service of what that is bigger than you. You know, the thing is interesting that you say that because even before I started therapy, I said, you know, I know what I gave the internet and I know what I gave television because I found my way in and that door was, mess and then I saw the reaction 
and I loved how it was creating this momentum and I really played into that. And then over time I've, you know, in different ways have smoothed it out or smoothing it out, you know, work in progress. But I think for me, I think it's important to not play into everybody's expectation of who I am. You know, the T is an easy thing. Is the low vibrational content is easy. I'm not saying that everything- Low vibrational play. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy thing, you know? But that's where I started shifting to more being a culture critic. I have, I'm a fan of the culture. I'm a fan of pop culture, celebrity culture, so I'm a fan of it. And, and I'm also very critical of what I like and don't like. And we need, I live for a cute gossip moment. We miss Wendy so much. I miss oh, Wendy course, so much. Absolutely. And I found in my you know, outlets other places. Um, but we, I, I, it, the world is fucked up. I need some mess. I need to laugh. <laughs> well, you know. it's escapism. Yeah. And so it's I think escapism. it's like, and so there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So yeah. it's, just, it's just how do we... I guess how do we just stay in the love and we just feel that and we feel the spirit in the heart and like the the love. To your point though, I mean, I don't feel the pressure to become, you know, the content is different, of course, because I'm now showing more layers of who I am. I mean, uh, the one thing I will say this year, we've very intentional in educational empowerment and um, and entertainment is the three E's that we're focused on. So my foundations come in, all the work I want to do and helping children that look like me. In communities that I come from, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not living up to anybody's expectation of who they want me to be. I'm not changing for anybody. I've known how to code switch since I was a labor organizer. So well, I just think now I'm showing more people who I am. If and you're black, that's just code switching. It's what you do. Period. Um, but I think too, I wonder because you talk, you, you have a book, and you talked a lot about like those. I guess my my question for you is around your therapy journey and like where where are you in the healing journey around childhood trauma and all that how is that going it's going good it's going really good actually um i started the process of turning my book into a series so really diving into each of the stories Mm -hmm. and in therapy my therapist when our first session he said to me he said i find it um amazing that somebody like you has been able to have this level of success and what appears to be a normalcy when you should be on heroin dead or in prison because of what you've gone through. And you know, yeah. I think about them like, yo, I've actually survived a lot. I've suppressed it so much to just been in the work and going that I haven't really thought of the fact that I've just survived so many different things that I'm now going back and using that as my power and my storytelling when I yeah. go out and talk to people. So, yeah. yeah. But the w- trauma lives in our bodies, though, and it will come out in specific ways unless we have to get it out and through. We have to get it out somehow. So pushing it down is can only work for so long. It literally starts to manifest in heart disease, diabetes. Yeah, yeah. There are health outcomes to toxic, um, um, to toxic stress, toxic shame. Um, um, Dr. Nanning Burke Harris calls it um, high doses of adversity. If you know the um, um, the number story, there's um, she's this whole idea. And if you're from my podcast as well of um, um, was it, uh, what is it, the scale for um, childhood trauma, adverse childhood experience, ACEs, thank you. ACEs called ACEs, and there's an ACEs score, one through 10, like if you have, uh, 60% of people have had like at least four major childhood traumas that can impact your literal health, um, asthma, diabetes, into late, late in life. So dealing with trauma, childhood trauma and stress is a matter of like our physical health. They're not separate. I almost slapped somebody Grammy week. I ain't gonna lie. And I'm proud of my therapeutic journey. (laughs) 
Who because, did, well, you don't have to say who you almost said. Why did you almost oh, slap someone? I can say his name, but I'm not going to. I'm Only because I don't want to give the life, the dead life. But, you know, because I hear things. You know, I hear everything comes back to me. I know so many people, whether they're famous or not famous, gangbangers, whatever. Like, everybody tells me everything, and I take it all in. But as I evolve, I think that's where the devil will try you. Because now that you're in your thing and you're glowing and you're growing, people see that as an opportunity to try to take advantage of you. And I caught myself in public telling a grown man to his face, loud in front of his clients and everybody, that I will slap the shit out of him. And it made me feel good to say it as I was thinking of all the consequences that would come out of actually doing it. But then I walked away saying, I ruined my whole night. I ruined my whole, I had on the most beautiful Dior outfit. I ruined that whole night. And everybody that I ran into heard the story because I couldn't stop telling how I felt. And that was in the midst of them congratulating me on all my success. So, so why was, did you allow whoever this person is to take you out of Baby, he caught character. me. I just hit the corner and ran into him. Had I prepared, you know, if I at least saw him across the room, I could have said, okay. And, and the reason is because he had been talking shit about you? Oh, no, but he's been out on a mission to try to hate on my success, stop people from coming on the show. He's just working. But then the thing is, you know, I'm in this business and I do what I do. And I'm not in the ecosystem controlled by the in industry. So, like, I sit out as an independent fly on the wall saying, okay, but I could say this and I know this and I do this and I know all that. But, you know, I choose not to release that stuff because it's just irrelevant. But in my mind, I have to learn that growth really is when you can be in a space with a person like that who's that toxic or unhappy and know that they've tried to hurt you and still be like, God bless you. Now, that's the goal. They go low, you go high. I'm, I'm, I'm funky, but they go low, I go to hell. So I'm trying to adopt a different mentality. But, you know, I want you're, to... She's not quite unlocking your better self, but you're there, to quote. I got, the key, in the, I got the key in there. It's, I'm trying to turn this. One of them locks is take a little oil. Well, one, but... of the, one of my favorite um, phrases is what other people say about me is none of my business. That, like, it's, I, it really keeps me from... There, I was, I was in a room last night with someone who, um, it could, it was tricky. It could have gone tricky. That person chose not to address me, and I chose not to address that person. I can't go into detail. Who was it, girl? Uh, <laughs> um, and but then I was like that. That was, and I was, pre I prepared myself if the person had come up to me and said something, and and, but there was love. I was, I was there to support a friend. And I was in love, and the people were lovely. People were coming up to me, and there was love there. And love can override all this other stuff. It really, it's like I think that, like you know, there's a whole we. And I, I love this mess. Like the whole, you know, you know, reality shows where somebody says something about me, and I'm gonna fight them. You know, that kind of thing. Um, we enjoy these things, um, you know, for entertainment. Um, but in real life, it's not so cute. Um, but it's just who cares what some, some, somebody's saying about me. Or it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like I, the light that God shines on me and that, that is shining from inside me, I'm the only one who can dim that. I'm the only one. Who, and, I, and I can allow someone to dim that, but I'm the only one who can dim that. There's no one, what is for me will be for me. Mm -hmm. So if people can, people are doing all sorts of things and say, oh, you know, girl, I'm a black trans woman with like 6.1 million Instagram followers. People are saying things about me mm -hmm. and people within my community, outside my community, people are saying all sorts of things, but that's actually none of my business. Mm -hmm. And it's not why I'm here. 
I'm here for something bigger. Yeah, yeah I am too. I'm, I'm just not all the way there yet. I'm. Um, I get it. I'm just, like, I'm just. I'm three months into therapy. I think the thing that I am struggling with is that. I know that this industry that we are in has its fakeness to it. Oh God! Yeah. If you don't like somebody, don't talk to them. Like, but don't come up to me and say congratulations on everything. That was the conversation. I hit the corner. They're like, congratulations on everything. And the first thing I said was, Nah, bitch, you've had my name in your mouth, and I pro- you got one more time to say something. And you know who you are. And this is not a threat. This is literally just a reminder. Um, <laughs> Because I just, I come from the streets of Stockton and although I love this industry and all that, I just, if I don't like a person, I stay away from them. I don't talk, I just literally like, just out of sight, out of mind. If I walk in a room and they're there, I will literally beat my mom business. I don't intentionally hate on nobody. I don't go to people's Instagrams and say mean things. Like, I don't care. Like, you live your life. I live my life. But to say congratulations on everything when I know you're out telling people not to come on my show is just crazy to me. Mm. Especially all the people he's fucked over. And all the but that's like. their energy. This is like, if you, this is the last thing I'm gonna say, I'm, trying, I'm not your therapist. But if you, I believe fiercely in karma. I really do. And I've, I've seen it. And so I really try not to mess up my karma out here because I believe that it's coming <laughs> again. So. What you put out yeah. is already coming back to Absolutely. you. As Oprah says, Miss Seeley was trying to tell y'all <laughs> what you what is done to you, what you did to me is already done to you. Yeah. So it's 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 already taken care of. It really is. And if you I, I believe in that. So I don't want to fuck up my karma. <laughs> so I'm trying to grow, I'm trying to stay right with the universe. Facts. And the tr- they, that's their business. Yeah. That what they're doing with that's their business. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to. It really has nothing to do with me. Well, keep my name out your mouth. We Who? can we can bleep the name out. Who anyway. was it? <laughs> I don't think I know this person. No. I don't know her either. Listen, <laughs> listen, Laverne Cox. Um, if you're you know who she is, but dig deeper into the story. Mm into the advocacy, into the fight, and the fact that someone who's become white famous still feels like it's equally important to be embraced by the culture is the reason why we should support you. And I can't wait until you're on The Breakfast Club. I might get up for that 5.30 a.m. call and pop in, because I want to watch that. Mm. I, you know, it's a, I, I think Cornel West, I love black people not, just because cause they're, lo- they're lovable and they deserve to be loved. I love black people, I love being black. I love being trans. I just love being a human being and a woman and an artist. And I'm so grateful and blessed right now. And I'm really trying to just, you know, it's last last thing. This will be the last thing I say. Brene Brown, again, says joy is the most vulnerable of all emotions for us to experience. Because when we really and truly let ourselves experience joy, we wait for the other shoe to drop. We wait for like, because we're just hardwired to look for the threat. And so to allow myself to really sit in the joy, it's scary and it's vulnerable as it is. It's just, it's just like, thank you, God. Thank you so much. And it is a gift from God. It's not something that I've done. It's, it's not me. And so thank you, God. Mm. Thank you. Well, I thank you. And you look damn good. I hope when I'm 50, I look good. I mean, I'm five years away, but I'm still going to get my fillers and Botox. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shout out to my dermatologist. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Jason. This was lovely. This was long and good, too. We're going to clap it up for Laverne. We like long and good. Check we like the- long and good. Yes, we do. Um, I miss my boyfriend. I can't say that. Goodbye. <laughs>